The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Cheers, 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 cheers. See you, bro. Yes, you too, you too. <laughs> and we're up. What the fuck is happening, Tom? Yeah, man? yeah. Great to be here, man. My man. Made it back, made it back. Uh, last time I saw you, I don't know, my eyes might have been a little crossed. Uh, th- that Well, last time I saw you was last <laughs> night. Right, that's last, the last time. Last. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, we'd start with that then. But the last Con- time we saw each other on a podcast, mm-hmm. yeah, we mm-hmm. got a, we, things went a little west. <laughs> <laughs> we got a little intoxicated. <laughs> so, so absolutely. So, you know, the whiskey kept pouring. The whiskey kept pouring, and that was when I was I had that van. So I was yeah. I'd still have the van, but at that time I, I was. I was kind of living in the van, traveling in the van. So this I drove heavy here. COVID. This is like heavy the beginning COVID. of COVID, where it was like mm-hmm. weird to be around mm-hmm. each other. Like, mm-hmm. are we okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got tested. Yeah, okay, right. We did. Okay, we we got, good. got the COVID test, yeah. and then I had the van out in the parking lot. Yeah, and uh, and we started drinking the whiskey about midway through the show, and then um, the next thing I know, I'm opening my eyes in my van, <laughs> and it's the next day. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh shit, what happened on the show? You know, so you know, I, I think maybe the last half hour of the show was such a blur. I don't really quite remember getting the van, but I had a nice sleep in the parking lot. It was amazing. And uh, and uh, then I kind of was a little nervous about like, geez, what? That's a that's a weird feeling when you don't know what you said. Don't know what you said. Yeah. And uh, and I called my mom. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, everybody seemed, you know, like it was, people thought it was funny, but I mean, I, I think she was a little concerned about the drinking, the amount of drinking, but no, that was, that was a great time, but I'm not... It was fun. Uh, yeah, it was a great time. It was fun, so we got a little off the rails. <laughs> you didn't have to go anywhere. No. Your van was parked. It was awesome. It was awesome. What is it like sleeping in parking lots? That's got to be an odd thing. Well, I rarely, did, I rarely did that in the van. It was mostly out in these remote desert parks like out in bureau of land management land blm land in the desert yeah and i was going around filming and uh and so i wasn't but i there was a couple of times i'd sleep in a truck stop because i was wanting to make a lot of distance so i'd Mm -hmm. drive until i kind of couldn't keep my eyes open then i'd pull over at a truck stop and sleep sketchy proposition right you don't know who's around. Yeah. Well, in the desert, it's it's a little more nerve wracking because you're all alone out there, Ooh, and yeah. uh, and people can see the van and the distance, and uh, it's that's, a pretty nice van. That's and, when the aliens come so, too. Uh huh. Yeah. All alone. I was hoping for that, but uh, nothing. No, uh, no, uh, no aliens. I had a, I had a nice flyover from a you know U.S. Uh, fighter jet in the Ooh. Trona pin- Pinnacles in this amazing part of desert in california oh yeah and uh and i was the only person there and i could tell this fighter jet saw me and he just kind of came in right over oh the, wow right over just the to van. say hi yeah and i didn't get my camera out in time and i just flew in one of those once yeah <clears throat> yeah with the blue angels oh yeah yeah god it's insane when you realize what those jets can do and i think what they were flying was like an fa-18 see if that's true nice yeah i think that's it mm-hmm. that's what we did and uh i believe they are actually i yeah. think they have even more capable jets now because this is when i want to say this is like 2003 two something like that way back in the day i have a plaque you mm-hmm. know it says you, you flew with the blue so angels pull major g-forces i've never been in a fighter jet, yeah but. i did i think i did six and a half g's something yeah. like that and I stayed conscious, 
but then I blacked out when I forgot to do the hooking on a lesser run. Like it was lesser. It was like four G's or something like that. Forgot to do the what's the oh, oh I'm sorry. You you when you're um when you're going through high G's, you do a thing called hooking. I think that's how they say it. Where you hold on to the, the joystick or you can hold on to your straps on your legs if you're the pastor like I was. And yeah. you go like this. And you're literally forcing blood into your head oh, to stay conscious. Yeah. So while we're doing this, I'm feel that's what you're doing. See how she's doing that? Nice. See how she's doing it? Yeah. So this is that's why, how you stay conscious. Yeah. That's how you stay conscious. You have to force the blood into your fucking brain. It seems like it's kind of slightly on the edge of not being a perfect system, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> you it's like that. you got to be a bad <laughs> motherfucker to yeah. fly those things. Those, yeah. those guys were all lifting, like all those Blue Angels piles. They were all jacked. They were uh, all like super diesel. Yeah. Because these guys are just fucking ready to kill. They're wrestling with that thing. Yeah. Like, it's not as simple as, like, you're too, 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 too. You're, like, the physical force of going to six Gs is so extraordinary. You yeah. haven't felt anything like it in your life. When you're, and these guys can go to, like, 13 Gs, some of them. Yeah. I don't it's think I. It's fucking insane. I, I don't think I would want to do that, actually. I would probably just, I, I, I sometimes. Don't want to do those kinds of things. You don't have to. Do yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It looks it looks to. amazing, but I just feel like I'm glad I did it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I after. just just as a wake up call. Like you think you understand, you see a jet, and I think of it almost like well, obviously, like driving a race car is very difficult, right? But driving a car fast is not that difficult. Yeah, you know, like if you have a good car, if you buy a new car today that handles really well, you can. If there's no one around, you can go pretty fucking fast, and it's really in control. But those things are different, man. It's like there's a physical experience. This it's so fast. There's so much power and force behind those things. Like, you got a plane yet? You're getting a plane, Ooh, Joe? Fuck that. No. <laughs> no. 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 Bill Burr pilots. Bill Burr flies around in a goddamn helicopter. Yeah, he took that's... me up around downtown LA. We just you can fly wherever you want in a helicopter. Yeah, helicopters are are even more of a, a no no for me because they they seem to go down a little too much. You know, I've been in a few. I, I flew a black in a Black Hawk through you know Baghdad and uh, did one of those USO wow. tours. Went did stand up over there back in two thousand three. How was that? That was a uh, pretty pretty wild experience. It was it was right before, like it was. Probably, fortunately for my uh, nervous system, right after the Mission Accomplished banner oh. and right before shit hit the fan with the IEDs. <laughs> so I was kind of thinking, oh, it's okay. No big deal. And we were over there in the green zone and we were flying around in the Black Hawk helicopter. One night they said, you want to go out on a night patrol in like a tank? And I was all set to go. And then, then they had to cancel it because of some sort of attack. And then we started hearing there's some stuff happening the... We were there for a few days only, but they started avoiding, you know, stuff on the road and the Humvees. Oh. And then the second I got back to, uh, to uh, you know, stateside, the, that's when it started to get real, real bad over there. But I did a few of those. I did Afghanistan as well and was on Chinook helicopters. Oh, wow. So my dad was military, so that's why I'm, that's why I'm rocking the Canadian Army jacket. Canadian nice. Army. We've got an army. I heard <laughs> recently. <laughs> recently heard about it. <clears throat> they didn't fight too hard against tyranny. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, it's uh, well, we did. You know, actually, we fought pretty hard against uh, the Germans. In, I mean, uh, the internal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. I know. I know. Internal well, government tyranny. Yeah, it's it's fun. I you know I watch your show all the time, Joe. So it's like I know I'm I. Uh, and I'm a very proud Canadian. So Tom, you're a, the granddaddy of the show. Uh, <laughs> the granddaddy. Well, yeah, uh, I don't know about that, but I mean, you, you are. Al- first of all, you've always been very uh, uh, nice to, uh, you know, give me a shout out about those early days of broadcasting in the living room. Huh? Well, dude, you're an awesome guy. I've always loved you. You're always cool to be around. And you also, your show in 2007, when I went on your show, that was 100% a major inspiration for me to do this because I remember thinking oh my god he figured it out like I remember I remember very clearly like sitting next to you on that chair going dude you this is it like this yeah. is it all you have yeah. to do is figure out how to make money with this yeah you said that on the show which yeah. was hilarious and then you figured that out yeah <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. really figured that out that's cool that was the missing link damn it but uh no no that's amazing no it's uh you know I remember when we, when we were doing it I had uh you know, I always wanted to do a talk show when I was growing up. I loved Letterman, right? And uh, I'd done my show on... Uh, you were great at it. Yeah, I, I really did enjoy... The The first show was more, you know, me out in the street doing crazy stuff. And then we did a, a talk show, which was a little bit more of a sort of a, a nightly show, a little bit more time to talk. And I did I did love doing that. When, I, when the show stopped, uh, it was right at the time of, uh, you know, technology changing on the web. And... Um, that was kind of always kind of how I, I was kind of looking at technology usually because you know when I was a kid I was in a rap group, and it was from technology right. I remember drum machines came out and we were listening to Public Enemy and going what are these sounds you know how do you do that right and then I would go work a summer job, I'd buy a, a sampler and a Kai S nine hundred sampler and a Atari computer and I you know I'm making beats in my parents' basement in Ottawa Canada wow. no, one's, no one's making beats in Ottawa Canada, <laughs> you know. We started this group called Organized Rhyme. And what year is this? This was, well, we started in mid-80s. And so this is all pre-internet. Yeah, pre-internet, yeah. Yeah, this was high school. So how are you finding out about there, all this there stuff we are. back then? Well, that was, you know, friends at school were listening to rap music. So friends at school were like, hey, you got to check out Public Enemy. You got to check out Boogie Down Productions. I'm like, Boogie Down Productions? And then you'd get a, someone give you a cassette of like the criminal-minded Boogie Down Productions, Bridges Over album and you're listening to it and they're rapping about Scott LaRock, their DJ who'd been, you know, unfortunately, you know, passed away in bad circumstances. He was shot and killed. And then you're listening to this sort of, that was the internet to me, you mm. know, it was, was rap music and skateboarding. <clears throat> Thrasher ma- magazine was skateboarding. You'd, you'd read stories about skateboarders in California in a magazine. You'd listen to rap music and hear stories about, you know, people who were not in Ottawa, you know, doing, doing cool shit. And, uh, and I was kind of wanting to get up on stage and perform. I was do, I was kind of dabbling with stand up as a at the at Yuck Yucks in in the comedy club in Ottawa, and uh, so when you say dabbling, well, I was doing stand up. I was doing stand up, but I I never really got to really you know a level where I was kind of I was doing it every week. I was going down every week for a couple of years, and actually the reason I stopped was because uh, the 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 rap group got kind of. Uh, sort of a record deal basically and mm. I kind of went focused on that for a while and stopped doing stand-up but yeah the club in Ottawa Yuck Yucks in Ottawa still there it's moved but it's um, 
It's owned by Howard Wagman, who's, uh, it's, Yuck Yucks is kind of like the improv of Canada. You know, it's a chain all across the country. Mark Breslin, I'm sure you know Mark, he's, uh, he started it. And, uh, and it's, uh, he's kind of like, um, it was, it was, it was wild because like, I don't know, it was something about the 80s, the 90s, before the internet, right? You'd go down to a comedy club and you'd find out about stuff just through word of mouth, like the rap music and like comedy. So I would go down to the comedy club and I remember Norm MacDonald would come through and he was probably 25 years old, right? And I'm 16 in the audience. And then I got to become this huge fan of Norm and he was Norm. But back then there wasn't a lot of people doing stand-up like Norm. Like there wasn't this sort of angle of sort of this absurdity to it, this, this sort of, this sort of, it was a more of a structured down the middle yeah. way of doing stand-up back then. And, and so Norm was this sort of, you know, you know, it was a curveball. Yeah, this sort of curveball, and we just couldn't get enough of it. So every time we was in town, we'd be down there. But <coughs> Howard Wagman told me this, this story about Norm, and, uh, you know, the first time he came down to do uh, stand-up at Yuck Yucks in Ottawa, and he got off stage, and he was disappointed in how it went. Norm was. He said, I'm never doing this again. He walked down the street. <laughs> Howard Wagman chased him down Spark Street in Ottawa and said, no, that was great. You're coming back. And he made him come back. And the, the rest is history. Well, Norm was yeah. a legitimate genius. Yeah. Like a genius mm-hmm. of life. Like mm-hmm. like a, a, a rare specimen. Mm-hmm. Like genius in not, not just that his comedy was brilliant, but just, just like, look at this. I've never seen this before. Mm-hmm. Like a totally different kind of human. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and genuinely always funny. Like every conversation was funny. Mm-hmm. He was just funny. I was on a plane with him accidentally twice. Nice. Twice. That must have been amazing. Twice on two mm-hmm. separate occasions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just totally random. Uh-huh. We sat next to each other on the plane. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the last one, it was so funny because he was telling me about how he quit smoking. Yeah, I quit smoking. It's a fucking, <laughs> turns out it's real bad for you. Like, this whole thing about quitting smoking. And he's, yeah. we're talking about it, like how hard was it to quit? Mm-hmm. This whole thing. The moment we land, he walks into the gift shop, buys a pack of cigarettes, and he's lighting them before he gets out the door. Uh, yeah, and I yeah. go, I thought you quit. He goes, I did, but all that talking about it made me want to smoke. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably all an elaborate setup, right? He probably was planning it the whole way. I don't know. Who knows? He probably doesn't even smoke. He was just doing it as a gag. No, he was, he was, he was, he was. Well, he was into gambling too, right? So yeah. like people that have those kind of like impulse control issues, like gambling is a big impulsive thing. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm fucking bad. I'm gonna bet on it. Mm-hmm. Let's put mm-hmm. the bet. Put it back. Yeah. All of it. All of it. That's you know rough. that kind of wild, crazy sports gambling too. That's not a good addiction to have, especially when you have money, right? <sighs> That's a scary addiction, man. I watched Dana White gamble. I watched Dana White play blackjack, and he was down six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And my fucking hands were sweating. I just, I was going, "What are you guys doing? Yeah, That's yeah. real money. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is so crazy. Yeah. He does it every night. Yeah." He does it constantly. There's people that love it. They love it. They love the action. It's thrilling. For me, it's fortunately I've never liked numbers. Like math was never something I enjoyed. So when it comes to blackjack, you're going, you're oh, I'm doing math in my head, and I get very uncomfortable. So I just, <laughs> I'm, I go, I'm, I'm not going to be good at this. That's a great reason to not gamble. Yeah. You hate math class. Yeah, I just figured I'm not going to be good at this because I can't even really 
add up what I'm supposed to be doing here quickly, so I'm just going to just sit on the side. Plus, I'm cheap. I don't want to lose I'm money. I'm not <laughs> a math person either. Yeah. It's a concentration thing. It's like <clears throat> if you concentrated on math, really got good at the basics of it, and then really started getting into more complex mathematics, it'd probably be very fun, probably be very exciting. But the problem is I never concentrated in high school at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm so removed. Mm -hmm. Like if people start talking about math, like complex shit. Yeah. Oh I checked out I at long division. Long division, I checked out. <laughs> I, I I'm like, are calculators available? They're pretty much everywhere, right? Right. right. And aren't there's like an unlimited supply of batteries? I'm like, right. I'm out. This is what I'm wondering. You know, now with 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 our phones and our Google and everything, like we we don't have to learn any of that anymore. I don't know anyone's phone number. We don't really have to learn anything anymore. I know like Eddie Bravo's phone number. I know my wife's phone number. I might know two two other numbers. Yeah. When I was a kid, I had a hundred numbers in my head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can call your grandmother. I still remember my, my phone number from when I was a kid. Yeah, you could call your friends. I could you... say it now, but that person probably wouldn't like that very much. <laughs> I got my phone number memorized from when I was in high school. Yeah. It was our first phone number. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't believe we had a phone number. I'm like, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's... I mean, we had phone numbers before, but that was the first one that I remembered. And that... then we, that was the first answer machines, too. Right, that was why. Remember, you would you would, if you want if you're out and you're trying to meet somebody and they're going to meet you and then they don't show up and you want to figure out where they are, you'd go to a payphone, put a quarter in it, yeah. call your phone, and then put your code in and check your answering machine or your yes. voicemail from like a, a, from the mall. And you thought you were and living they, in and the then future. they would leave a, they'd leave a message yep. on your answering machine to tell you, hey, sir, I'm going to be a little late, and, you, and then you hang up and then you know cost you a quarter. But yeah, it was, yeah, that was that's how crazy everything's changed in such a small house, amount of time. You were gone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No yep. one knew where the fuck yep. you were. Absolutely. There was, <laughs> yeah. there was no snap map. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Where kids today, they look at each other on Snapchat maps where they all know where they are at mm -hmm. any moment in time. Mm -hmm. There's no shenanigans. Yeah. No, I was thinking about like how when I was a kid, you know, we would, we would be able to very easily manipulate, uh, you know, the situation with you know, my parents and say, okay, I'm going over. Right, my friends, I'm so going to Bobby's house. Go drinking and skateboarding yeah. all night. And yeah. No, you know, that, that was better like that, you know. These but, kids today, they're tracked. <laughs> Everyone's tracked. Yeah. It's not your parents, it's the government. And we're not going to be able to really get, get rid of it now, too. That's the thing. Just, there's, no, there's no way this is going to turn back. No one's, no one's ever going to decide this has gone too far. It's just, mm -mm. it's, it's just going to keep escalating and getting worse. And, and, and my eyes are getting bad because I'm sticking I'm, – I'm, I'm, I find myself addicted to the phone as much as I know that it's happening. I'll get on that TikTok and I just start scrolling through stuff and then, oh, sh shit, like two hours just went by, you know, and yeah. my eyes are getting mm -hmm. blurry and it's really kind of starting to it's useless. piss me off, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, for me, it's Instagram. I don't have TikTok, but I use the Instagram reels. God damn it. It's so nuts. Like one after the other. And it's so interesting watching this mad scramble of people trying to figure out a new way to get your attention. Mm -hmm. Whether it's through like shooting a bow and arrow with your feet over your head at balloons. Mm -hmm. You ever seen those gals that do that? They stand, stand on their hands, mm -hmm. and they have a bow in their feet, and they have their legs all the way over the top of their head, and they draw the bow back with okay. their feet. I saw another thing kind of like that, but there was no bow and arrow involved. But yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. That sounds good. That sounds good. Are they? Are they? 
wearing clothing as well? Or no. Why would they be wearing clothing? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, no. They wear like bikinis. They're hot. (laughs) Most gals with that kind of mobility with your body, Mm -hmm. you're probably pretty hot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How could you not have a hot body if you could do that? If you could get your butt over the top of your head and have your legs pull a bow back and then aim it and shoot it? What? I certainly can't do that. Who'll fucking do that? I mean, what percentage, what percentage of the population can do that? See, and this is this is kind of I think where we started with us was you know how did I find out about rap music? How did I find out about Norm? You know, we had to use a certain sense of creativity, and we had to go out of our way to find out about stuff, right? You know, and 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 so it it you know, sounding like some couple of old guys here we are a couple of old yeah, guys complaining about but that's what we are now how the world was better before but i don't think the world was better before mm, yeah i don't think that's true there's some aspects of it like that i think forced us to be just a little bit more creative and think out of the box because we were or at least in a different way because you'd, you'd go find some drum machine or you'd go down to the little comedy club in ottawa and you know stand-up comedy wasn't a mainstream thing then you know it was it was pretty big but not in ottawa it was sort of almost like you felt like you were going somewhere that you weren't supposed to go yeah. go down in the basement yeah it's 16 years old i'm in a bar you know and there's some guy yeah. on stage and they're not talking about norm mcdonald on on television yet he hadn't gone to snl yet he had, i remember I'd see him, and my friends would see him, and then we'd go to school, and we'd tell our friends, you got to go see this guy, Norm MacDonald. He'd come every three times a year, and every time he'd come, we'd be there. And it was just like this sort of myth. It was a mythology to it, you know? And then all of a sudden, he got, we heard he moved to, he moved to Los Angeles because he was writing for Roseanne, you know? And we all heard about this, and it was this sort of, you know, all the, you know, the amateur comics, the, you know, up and the kids up there are doing it, and... Well, I guess I was the kid doing that. Everyone else was kind of in their twenties, but thirties. But everybody was just kind of like, "There is hope. We can, we can get out of Ottawa, man." You know, so yeah, you know, and, something, uh, and, something out there. And then SNL and everything. And it was just amazing to watch, watch him do that. But and you know, I was having a good chat with uh, with Adam at, at the club, you know, about Norm because he was, of course, famously his his sidekick, his sidekick on his show. Yeah. So it was such a shame to see. Norm disappear like that, and uh, oh, so just uh, he was talking about coming out here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's uh, it's you know so much has happened since I was here last. I got a lot of stuff I wanted. First of all, before I start talking about uh, me though, I just wanted to say thanks for having me at the club this weekend. My I'm pleasure. So, I'm so stoked. The club is amazing. It's and uh, and uh, I've been hanging out with, there for the last two nights, and I came in a little early and uh, wanted to hang out and just. Uh, settle in and man it's just such a vibe there it's just such a perfect perfect comedy club you did such an amazing job you're the only guy that brings his dog everywhere that's not annoying maybe (laughs) ever yeah yeah well maybe ever yeah yeah and everybody loves charlie yeah everybody loves charlie could be a charlie charlie's in here with us now yeah yeah charlie's a sweetie charlie um is uh i got charlie right before I, i came here the last time um, she's named after the John Steinbeck novel Travels with Charlie because um, uh, I was out in the van and that, that book's about Steinbeck in the 60s got a camper made a camper van out of a pickup truck and he drove across America and he wrote a book about America and its differences oh. it's called Travels with Charlie in Search of America and uh, and uh, I got I got Charlie at a rescue called Thrive is the name of the rescue which is actually run by Jimmy Durante's daughter in San Diego, the, entertain, the entertainer Jimmy Durante, who it's like a, 
a ranch in San Diego, and they bring these dogs in from uh, from the Bahamas and Mexico. They're called pot cake dogs. And um, Charlie. Anyways, we uh, we went out in the desert, and everybody loves Charlie, like you said. There's Charlie. The- Charlie looks like she was just taking a nap. She's yeah. Like, what the fuck are you waking me up for, Dad? <laughs> But, uh, I was just taking a nap. The funniest thing is Charlie like, actually goes on stage with you. We should tell people. Yeah, she just chills out up there. I just kind of take it's her. It's got to be so weird when you're killing. Yeah, all that noise. She's uh, she's she's kind of used to it. But, the, <laughs> ah, but isn't that strange? What a strange experience for a dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be yeah. in the Bahamas. Yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden she's on stage with. Tom Green. That's right. She left. She left. Audience is cheering, and she's just sitting there like, "What the fuck is this life?" Yeah, yeah. I'd look at her sometimes and wonder. She left at five weeks old, the Bahamas. So that that was a good thing. She got out there five weeks old, and then was in San Diego. She got adopted by somebody else for three for like three months, basically, and then uh, they couldn't keep her. I got her at three months, and uh, and uh, you know it's funny. She grows up in the Bahamas, then she goes to California. And then, uh, then I moved back with her. To, I moved back to Canada since I was last here, and I left, left Los Angeles. Following in your footsteps, the exodus continues. Um, it and, wasn't uh, just me, man. <laughs> I keep getting like labeled as a Pied Piper of this, but the, come on, everybody was leaving. Yeah, I gotta say though, like uh, you know, there was a lot of factors to, to change my entire life. I, I you know, I, I sold my house the, at, around the time right after I was here. Um, and that was the house that, that was, you did the Tom Green show for. Uh, that I owned for 18 years, that I did the Webovision show in. Webovision, we called it. And Why don't you do a show now? So I'm actually, I'm building a podcast studio in Beautiful. my barn. It's in an unheated uh, uh, century barn. And, Are you going to uh, heat it? Uh, nope, not going to heat it. No. Uh, You're going to have conversations where you're freezing it? Yeah, we're going to wear really warm jackets. Really? That's one thing that's cool about Canada. Like People, people talk about the cold mm-hmm. and how you know, fucking cold it is up there. But like the cool thing about the cold when you get, when you kind of get acclimated to it is you can kind of regulate your temperature. Like you wear a really warm Arctic jacket yeah. in the barn while you're doing the podcast. We'll probably move it in at some point. Also, then. you can die outside. You can die. Yeah, yeah. It's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a different thing. And it makes more resilient people. Yeah. It's, I think it makes better people. I really do. I was, I was thinking about how you do there's the barn yeah you're so freezing this, your dick off son <laughs> first that, of all that's why my dad that's my dad there yeah so yeah if you know what you should get sponsored by like uh one of those um like heater bodysuit companies yeah like yeah for, for deer hunters when they sit in those blinds yeah that's they cool. sit, if deer hunters when they sit in tree stands you know yeah. how fucking cold you get yeah yeah see if it's cold out that's one thing but if it's cold out and you're not moving that's mm. another thing yeah, that's we, another thing. You could be, it could be fucking zero degrees, but if you're hiking, you're fine. Well, I wear these. We're talking. We're actually talking to a sponsor right now. They're, they're, might sponsor it. They're, they're, they're this uh, clothing company, Baffin, and they, they make the warmest jackets, right? So it's like, you can, really regulate your yeah. temperature, right? And that, that's the thing. Like, if you know how to do that, because, I, uh, I got, I. It's been a lifestyle change. I bought, I got this farm. I'm on a farm now that I live on and basically I'm going to live there now for the rest of my life. I know it. I'm never going to leave this place. I love it so much. That's awesome. It's, it's a wilderness area with some- I enjoy your videos from there. It looks like you're really enjoying it. I am really loving it. You know, it's just, it's just such a, a peace of mind to get up in Look the morning and I've got this mule. 
and I got my strap there on the side. <laughs> yeah, I got my mule. And uh, this is a whole new thing, Joe. I mean, I don't know. I didn't. First of all, I didn't know anything about um, uh, horses and mules, but I got a mule and a donkey and some chickens. And so I'm a just, mule is a cross between a donkey and a horse, correct? Is yes. That how it works? Okay. And I did not know that a year and a half ago. They're supposedly like the most resilient animals for like riding trails and stuff so mules are so yeah i've it's sort of all it, it it all started with i found this property and this farm and i wanted to be outside and then there was these two old barns there and i would look at these barns and i'd say they were kind of calling for something to be put in them they were 100 years old there was stuff start, stored in them and so uh some some friends of mine and i we kind of cleaned up the barns and uh we i got this mule and this donkey and so Initially, the idea was, I thought a mule would be kind of funny, right? Because they're they got bigger ears and they're kind of. I was thinking three amigos. I was thinking a donkey. I was thinking a mule was a donkey. I didn't even really know that much about it, but, um, and I started looking for a mule that you could ride, and there's not that many mules in Canada. They're much more of a southwestern, you know, American thing. You know, George Washington bought brought mules to America. It was a big part of, uh, you know, them really? settling America. With, they would use them for farming. He they, brought them in? Yeah, he was instrumental in being a big part of getting mules here. They would use them for, you know, harvesting, you know, pulling, you know, uh, harvesting crops and doing all the work around mm. the farms and stuff. They have also been used in war a lot. They've been used in military. Mm -hmm. So a lot uh, of the pioneers and, preferred them to horses. Yeah, they're extremely strong. And they're very, very smart. They can go longer without water. Too. Longer with, yeah. They use less water, less less food. My friend Clay Newcomb is actually a mule expert. Okay. He's been on the podcast before. Oh, and cool. he talked about fancy mules and like how you pick a mule and uh -huh. training a mule. And oh, I want to, I want, oh, I follow him actually. I follow Clay. On, Clay, uh, Clay's interesting. On, on, on He's TikTok. got a podcast called the Bear Grease Podcast. Uh-huh. You know, it's a lot of it is about bear hunting in Arkansas. Oh, nice, and nice. Just interesting, like, outdoor stories. Like, he's a very, very interesting guy, but he just knows a ton about mules. Well, the thing that's so crazy about them is they're extremely smart to a point that it's, you know, people say stubborn as a mule. Mm -hmm. It's it's not really stubbornness. What is it? What is it? Self-preservation. So they figure out, basically... I'm I'm riding this animal now. She's a very big mule, as you can see. She's mm -hmm. a very big mule. She's called sixteen three hands is the way you measure horses and mules, and she's like as tall as they get. Her mother was a uh, uh, a horse, so uh, a Percheron paint mix. So it's a uh, Percheron's a workhorse, almost like a Clydesdale. So she gets her size from that, and her father's a mammoth donkey, and she's ten years old. A mammoth donkey. Yeah, a mammoth. Yeah. What yeah. a great name. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a, uh, it's cre it's definitely created a very large, strong, serious animal. I want to see a picture of a mammoth donkey. Yeah. How big are they? There we go. Yeah. Yeah, so you can sort of Whoa, see. Whoa, look at the size of that fucking thing. That's a donkey? Yeah. Holy shit, dude. And, and you can ride those too, so. <laughs> and that's. But are, are donkeys harder, between 900 and 1,200 pounds? Yeah. Are donkeys Fanny's, harder to train than mules? I'm not sure of the answer to that. I'm not sure. But I know that mules are easier to train than horses, so I would assume, because they, they learn. And the, mules are sterile. 
They're sterile, yeah. So a uh, it's a hybrid animal mm-hmm. and it can't breed, which is isn't that fascinating that mm-hmm. um, like a male of one species can breed with the male of another species. They make an offspring. It's yeah. alive. Mm-hmm. It has testicles. It has sex drive. It has everything. Can't breed. So isn't that weird. So the horse has. Let me get this right. I've been I've been trying to learn as much about it as possible because I'm riding this thing and I don't want to die because uh, you can fall off it and it's oh, yeah. it's not fun falling off. I've fallen off a couple of times. Have but, you uh, really? Yeah, it wasn't too By bad. By yourself? Uh, yeah. Out there in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, it was the, it was it was my own fault. I was streaming on Instagram and not paying attention. <laughs> That's a good for beginners. Don't 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 let go of the reins and play with your phone while you're riding on a uh, yeah. 1,400 pound mule. Fanny's 1,400 pounds. <laughs> That's and, fucking um, huge, man. But yeah, I guess I guess it's a horse has uh, 64 chromosomes and a uh, donkey has 62. And so when they breed, they uh, take one of – it ends up mm. that the donkey the, – the mule has 63 chromosomes, which is not an even number and therefore makes it sterile. So this, wow. is, this is what I'm trying oh, to – Oh, so that's what it is, something, even number. Something kind of complicated Isn't like that. Isn't fascin- it fascinating, though, that nature figured out a way to stop everything from fucking everything and just getting it <laughs> pregnant? Isn't it like nature's like we got to have a, a system in here uh-huh. because that's just – that's untenable. Uh-huh. That's going to lead to chaos. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like if humans – Imagine. Can you imagine? If humans could get Thank other things pregnant. It is so good that they Everything would be a hybrid of a human. Like everything. Is, yeah, like be a, a lobster human hybrid. Somebody, somebody would do that. You know? Island filled with turtle people. People walking around with exoskeletons going, hey, this ain't so bad. You're you going to be on the island and go, I can't believe someone fucked a turtle. Yeah. And there's going to be this guy like with a turtle shell on. Fuck you. Yeah. You know, he's going to be mad at you. Like, I'm just saying. Because people are insane. Insane. I mean, somebody has probably fucked a turtle. One hundred percent, someone's fucked a turtle, <laughs> right? If you had to bet everything you own, sure, one hundred percent. A guy somewhere yeah. has been hopped up on some fucking mm-hmm. yeah. Vietnamese street meth, right? Right. right. <laughs> fucked a turtle, of course. Yeah, probably American. Yeah, probably an American guy from the <laughs> Southwest <laughs> over there hiding from the law or something, right. and he's methed up and he fucked a turtle. Right. Yeah, people have fucked everything. But no result because of the power, the nature has uh, made these protections, thankfully. The wildest uh, hybrid, of course, is the liger. Yeah. Because they, they miss the gene that regulates size. Yeah. They, they don't have the same gene that like a tiger and a lion does. I've seen those. I forget which one, how does it work? Is it a male lion and a female tiger or a male tiger and a female lion? I forget which one it is, but in that combination, when they make a liger, they just keep growing. Yeah. <laughs> They're so big. Yeah, I've looked at these on the internet. These, I don't, I, you know, yeah. the, the thing is, is I guess, I guess a tiger and a lion and a donkey and a horse are close enough together in evolution to be able to, to uh, do this. And there's, yeah. I guess, no animal that is close enough to us to be able to Luckily, come close enough. Because, you know, they've done experiments or with maybe the we just other haven't, primates. Maybe just nobody's fucked the right thing yet to figure it out. I bet someone pulled it off in China or Russia or something like that. They probably got some chimp-human hybrid somewhere. I've heard sort of uh, internet conspiracy theories that there was a, a Russian uh, experiment that went awry or something like this. Well, but There was this one very strange case of a chimpanzee that they call humanzy. And this chimpanzee had very human-like <laughs> features, and it lived with a family. Uh-huh. 
I forget if it was a family of researchers. I forget the story, but they always end tragically because those things ultimately, as they get older, they want to be the boss. Mm -hmm. It's a big male, and they're going to just fuck you up. They're Mm going to bite your fingers off or bite your friend's fingers. It's always something like that. They always do something horribly, Mm -hmm. horribly violent Mm -hmm. eventually. But this one that they had, they had him for a long time, and he looked like a human. Yeah. Look, he he, it looked weird. Like yeah, and he stood upright a lot, and he wore clothes. He's got a big old donkey dick. Look at that donkey dick. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> the Humanzi of Orange Park. First of all, Humanzi is such a great name. I mean, I almost yeah. wish it had worked just for that reason alone. Right. Humanzi. I mean, there'd be Humanzies going around. But, uh, yeah, I often kind of have See little... See if you can find the... the so there's some weird shocking pictures of it. Like that one in the upper right-hand corner. The one... Yeah, right there. Right and they're there. so strong. Click, click on that one. Look at its face. Yeah. Like it's got an odd face. Mm-hmm. And there's some pictures I think they're probably doctored that made it a little more human looking that confused people. But the thing, like, as it got older, see if you can find the older pictures of it. It looked real weird, man. Yeah. But it was just a chimp. It was just a chimp that, you know, had been taught to <laughs> behave that way. Yeah. Look at how he's walking. He's walking like a chimp. He's not walking like a human. Look at the shoulders and the arms. That's a chimp. I sometimes think about the close calls I've had with a a couple times with animals where I wasn't really giving them the, not like just understanding the power they had. Like I had a chimpanzee on a show I did once on on, on my TV show back in the day. And, you know, it was a, it was a trained chimpanzee, but massive. And, uh, you know, I remember after the show, I just said, hey, can I hang out with the chimpanzee? So it came out and I was just sitting out with him in the parking lot for about half an hour, just me and this chimpanzee right in front of me, looking right in my eyes. It was playing with the buttons on my shirt. And, you know, was, the, the trainer was 20 feet away. And I just thought it was so the cutest thing. And then, you know, you, a few years later, I read about the chimpanzee ripping that, you know, killing people and how yeah. violent they are. And you go, man, that is, uh, you know... I had a I had a macaw at one point, which I actually had to get rid of. Uh, you know, big red parrot. You know, a macaw, and I got it in uh, when it was 13 months old. And this was my biggest disappointment, I'd say, with uh, a pet because I had gotten this macaw. It's named Rex. He was on the web show for a period of time. I was after you were on that time, but uh, and I really love this thing, and I love animals. You know, and I I, I I was so fascinated by it because I was realizing, oh, this is this is a pet that I'm going to have for the rest of my life, and I was all dedicated to this, and I was really kind of somewhat moved by the fact that I was going to be having this beautiful macaw for the rest of my life, and it would, it would, pick my teeth and it would stick its beak in my mouth and you know, literally like just kind of put its plate and chew on my ear and all of this kind of stuff. And uh, then all of a sudden, uh, when it got to be about 13 years old, it just became a real asshole. Like it really, really changed. It had been going from this little baby to I couldn't put my hand in the cage without it really biting hard. And it almost took my finger off. Uh, I had to go in the cage to clean the cage and I couldn't pick it up anymore. And uh, I actually had to find it a new home. Uh, but Do you think it just didn't like being in a cage? I'm sure it didn't. I wouldn't like it like it myself, you know. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, and that feels bad too. That's the thing I don't really like about yeah, having. You're a prison warden. Yeah, exactly. I started to feel really bad, so I took it back to the 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 bird place where I'd gotten it, and they said to me, "Oh yeah, we don't. 
this has been 13 years later, you know. I've been, spe- I've been spending 75 bucks a month on walnuts for 13 years, okay. You know, these eat a lot of walnuts. And then uh, they say, oh, yeah, we don't sell macaws anymore because when they get to be 13, they, they, they change and they become really, really mean. I'm like, well, you could have told me that 13 years ago. But So, I, <laughs> so it's like, a, like there's an internal clock? Yeah. They just, so they, it's like they, a puberty they, thing? Like a puberty thing, yeah. And so, yeah. so I feel bad, but I got her a better home. That's why it's but, scary to be in front of a chimp. Yeah. Because the, the chimp... Exactly. They could just decide. I have I these. Fuck this guy up. I have these moments where I think about the time when that macaw would have its beak in my mouth. Could've you know, just your lips. months before it could have ripped my face apart. Sitting with that, but the the Fanny, the this mule, and I have the donkey as well, who was her companion for her, named Kia. She was a two year old donkey, and uh, they um, the donkey will live to be fifty potentially. And, and uh, the Fanny is a big animal, so she could live to be 30, 35 years old. And so she's 10 now. So so it's a big responsibility. Uh, and I, I really kind of consider them now, after having them just for a short time, kind of family. You know, it's, yeah. it's an amazing thing. But they are, the thing that's, I think the thing that's most interesting about a mule, let me just kind of, we won't talk about mules for the whole show, but, uh, you know, the they are so smart that they figure you out. So I'm new to this. So when I first got her, I was given one day of training on how to ride a horse, you know? So I learn how to saddle her up. I learn how to get up on this thing. You know, you pull the rein, you look where you want to go, you push with your foot opposite of the, of the side you want to turn. There's a sort of little rhythm to that. And it went great for about a month, but then she started sort of figuring out that I was sort of uncertain in what I was doing. Ooh. She started to understand that I didn't know what I was doing. And so she starts testing me, right? And I don't necessarily realize that's what's going on. So, Like how so? So when, you, when I'd be saddling her up, uh, she would move. So I'd go to saddle her, take the saddle. It's a big saddle. You got to put it up on her back. You put a saddle pad on and you got to put the saddle on. And then she would move into me and kind of push me, you know? And I didn't really know how to prevent that because she's 1,400 pounds. So I'd have to kind of lead her around, try to get her back in position. It became this weird sort of dance of me running around trying to get the saddle on. I'd eventually get it on. But what happens is she ends up losing all respect for me because I'm, she, she, cause I'm letting her sort of be the, the leader, right? And, oh. and so a mule really wants, to, wants me to be the leader. And it's hard for me to be the leader at first because I'm uncertain. So they sense, they sense uncertainty. So when I'm riding her, uh, there's wolves at my place in the, in, in the woods. Oh, so, fun. Yeah. yeah it's real, uh, I got a story about that too. And there's wolves there. I was showing Jamie before the show. There's, there's I guess, video of them on my trail cams. But she sees them coming out of the woods at night. She doesn't necessarily want to go into the woods. She thinks it's unsafe. It's not because obviously they're not going to attack her and me. She's a giant mule, but she thinks that. So over time, she started to not want to go in that direction. She stopped wanting to turn left. And so what would happen is I would, I started to realize she didn't want to go there. So every time I wanted to go there, I would get nervous. I would feel uncertain. Oh, she's not going to want to go there. She would sense that I was nervous and it would double down and then she wouldn't go in there. So I had to kind of get into this real sort of uh, sort of a psychological re 
training kind of a mule intervention from the people that raised her? Uh, I have so many questions. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. it's it's really wild. It, and I, I, there's, I've, I've got, it's really interesting, the intricacy of how you how you figure this out. I'm now, to... did you have any training before you got a mule? Uh, I, I so she was she was owned by a single owner uh, up in uh, northern Canada in a place called uh, Thunder Bay, which is about eighteen hours drive north of me. Um, way colder up there. She's like in Club Med down now 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 in su- southern Canada. She's probably loving it. But um, and her owners were uh, uh, Kaya and Lisa, who uh, who have a they breed mules and they're called Twister right. Did mules. Did you get any training? They they drove her down and they, we spent about three days. Okay, and they showed me how to saddle up, and they talked to me about it, and uh, you know, I, I learned as much as one can learn in three days. Um, you know, there's the basics, right? Right. There's the basics, like you did know. Did you do a lot of it when when they were there by yourself? Like they just told you how to do it, and you walked over and did it. Uh, they spent time with me for about three days, but this is kind of. They're telling me I'm doing quite well because I actually am able to to handle this animal now. But it's been an interesting journey the last you know since mm. June. I got her in June, because. Um, because, uh, you know, at first it's the, – at the very first sort of on the surface way that you ride a mule is you look where you want to go, lightly pull the rein on – if you want to go left, you pull the left rein, rein lightly. If, if that doesn't work you, – but you, you might not even have to pull the rein. You could just look where you want to go and they, they feel your body shifting. They sense your intent mm. and, they, and you, you, you have to look in that direction. Like, like Avatar if, if, when you link up with the dragon. It's like, telepa- mm. it's like telepathy for sure. Yeah. It really is and you feel it and it's such a really cool feeling when you really get into the pocket mm. with it. So then you pull lightly. Then you do a little push with your foot. Um, and so that's all sort of very you know, physical stuff. Um, and it worked fine for a while, but then, you know, I didn't quite understand the overall psychological sort of hierarchy that gets created and a trust level that's created between the mule and myself. The more I screwed up, just even in the barnyard, the more I let her get in my space. You don't ever want to let a mule get in your space, like gets in your space, a, a, a very sort of a you know, easy way to uh, uh, control that is you can just put your hands up to her eyes like that. Like, you know, you don't even have to touch her. Right? And, they mm. like, and then they back off. I didn't know that, right? So I was kind of like, I'm pushing it. No, oh, okay. boy. It was like, without, you know, trying to stop. And then it so, realizes how and it, small it, it you realizes are how small I am. And it yeah. realizes I don't know what I'm doing. And it loses all respect. And, oh. uh, uh, and so you start to kind of, so once you start to learn a little bit deeper about how to handle those just on the ground with her, then then once you get up on her, she has a little bit more respect and is more apt to listen to you. But it was really interesting because they they um, they came back. Uh, to, they're been, they're really great. They're they're trying to bring more mules into Canada because they love mules, and uh, and uh, they uh, you know there is something very different and special about mules because of their intelligence. And so it's really interesting. They they came back and spent some more time with me and and. We would go out. We went out on the, the trail. And there's, Fanny doesn't like ATVs. Okay, so I've got this Polaris side by side that I drive around the property on. It's a noisy, you know, ATV, four wheel vehicle thing. And they were driving ahead of me, and 
to kind of instruct me, and I'm following along. And we're coming up the trail, and they stopped. And as we approach the ATV, it's parked on the trail. There's a space on the side. I'm going to ride around the trail. But in my head, I'm thinking, oh, Fanny's not going to want to go around this ATV. And we get up there, and I try to turn around the ATV by looking, pulling the rein, pushing my leg. She just stops. And when she stops and when she decides she doesn't want to go, this isn't like a little trail riding, you know, carnival horse. She gets going and will turn and really kind of get quite, you know, aggressive aggressive in a way. And uh, which is kind of exciting, though, I got to tell you. And I was a skateboarder. I, I, pretty, I got pretty good balance. So I was kind of, it's kind of interesting. But the thing that was, was um, wild about it. So then I go, well, she's, she's not going to want to go around the ATV, I say to, to Kaya and Lisa. And they, and they say, no, no, well, she, it's not that she doesn't want to go around the ATV. It's she knows that you think she doesn't want to go around the ATV. You have to what? think in your head that she wants to go around the ATV. What? Yeah. Cause when really? You, yeah. Because when, when you're subconsciously, whether we know it or not, as human beings, you know, we didn't always have language, right? Right. We didn't, we, someone invented language at some point. Before that, we were just kind of just all this nonverbal communication and energy, right? So you get up to the ATV, and if I'm thinking... She's not going to go around the ATV. Oh, look, look, I just, my whole body just went like that. You know, I sighed. I felt like a sense of defeat, right? Mm. She feels that just through her saddle. It's not, it's not total like voodoo. She feels like. Yeah, but there it, might be a little bit of voodoo. Possibly as well. I it mean, seems there's, like there's a magic to it. You attribute yeah. all that to body. She feels it. She feels movement. it. And she's so smart. that she, So a horse doesn't necessarily sense that as easily as a mule, like quite a bit less easily. So that's why people say mules are stubborn because they're sensing all of these little nonverbal cues that a horse might just be apt to say, oh, he pulled on the rein, so I'm gonna go that way. He, pulled, wow. he, he pushed his foot, so I'm gonna go that way. So, and that's why also mules are also extremely, uh, you know, they're used in war and they're used in Grand Canyon trail riding and things like this. Cause you know, if a horse is walking along the edge of a cliff uh, and a snake jumps out, the horse might be apt to just jump the other way off the cliff, killing itself. And whereas a mule will instantly identify cliff that way, snake that way, danger both ways. Mule will kill the snake. Mm. It'll stomp out the snake. So, or, or it at least won't jump off the cliff. Right. So it's that's way better. Yeah, better. I think we should just all have mules. All have mules. Well, you should get a mule. You should get a mule. I definitely would not yeah, yeah. Uh, have the time to be training a mule. I, uh, it seems like that's... A... Here's my question, though. This is mm -hmm. the other question I, I got to remember. Why would you think that the wolves would not attack the mule? Well, it's not... Um, first of all... Because like, if she's scared of the wolves, you know, donkey... she should, I think she should be scared of the wolves. You know, donkeys and mules, especially donkeys... And mules half donkey, so they're actually used a lot as uh, as uh, livestock protection animals. So because they'll stomp out a coyote or a wolf, mm. so a lot of farmers get them, put them in with their sheep, and uh, they'll actually protect the herd. Um, so that's awesome. So it's there's it's it, it's not impossible, but it is pretty uncommon that uh, that uh, coyotes and in my area the wolves are not gray wolves; they're timber wolves, so they're not. You know, um, as big, big right. as big, but they're uh, 
They're big enough, though. They're about the size of huskies. So they, they mostly kill, like, deer and Deer and, and smaller stuff. Like they don't try for elk or anything like that. Because the big, uh, gray, the big gray wolves will take out elk. Yeah. I'm sure they, you they know, take I think. They out moose. Yeah, absolutely. Moose are so big, man. For a wolf to take out a moose, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. These are the wolves. These are my trail cams at oh, my place. Oh, wow. Look, dropping so, a deuce right so. there on your trail cam, staring you in the <laughs> eye. That's an alpha move right there, son. I guarantee that's the alpha. Yeah, yeah, He knows. Yeah. He knows you got that trail camera. He's like, Tom Green, check this out, bitch. Yeah. This Shit is, right yeah. in front of your camera. So it's, it's you know, it's the only way to know 100% for certain that they're wolves and not a hybrid I know you know all about this, Joe, but like the koi, yeah. koi, koi wolves is to do a DNA test. And, yeah. But, but, uh, koi but, wolf is kind of a misnomer, you know, because a, a coyote is a wolf. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the reason why the coyote spread so far across the country is because they, they have like a built-in mechanism to protect them from gray wolves because mm -hmm. gray wolves would kill the coyotes. Yeah. Whereas the red wolves in the East Coast would breed with the coyotes. And right. that's where you got the koi wolf. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think they're viable. I think when they breed, they can breed. Oh, I, yeah. I don't think they're like a donkey or a, like a mule, rather. You mean a coyote and a wolf. I think when, yeah, the, when the, like the koi wolves, whatever they call them, koi wolves, I think they're viable. Yeah, I think yeah. they have babies. Yeah, absolutely. No, they are, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and it's not really, a, in, it's not different. It's, it's kind of like two different kind of dogs or something. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, because yeah, um, I've been uh, um, getting some information about this from a, a wolf researcher up who lives near, near me, uh, and uh, he... Um, has sort of uh, put out some trail cams, and we've we've actually laid out uh, some uh, uh, fur traps that you can get a little bit of their fur, and we're going to send it for a DNA sample to find out exactly the percentage of DNA that wolf to coyote that mm. we have here. Because uh, yeah, it's it's kind of I don't know. You live out in the wilderness, you know. You find these kinds of things are I've, I find it quite interesting to just kind of really kind of dive into into it deep oh, and try to figure it out. You know? You're out of there in, in the real wild. You're in the wild where there's packs of predators mm -hmm. in your neighborhood. And I wish I had bear footage right now, but I, I, I it's not online. But uh, this year I put out my, uh, my trail cams and I got like, I'd say a little more than a half dozen distinct different bears on that exact trail, Whoa. which is, you know, on my property right by my house. Brown bear or black bear? Black bear, yeah. Yeah, we don't have grizzlies out east, so it's just uh, in Canada even. It's all... They're not all, yet. Not yet. The liberals will try to reintroduce them. <laughs> you need more things to be scared of. Well, I'm talking you know, about bringing grizzlies back to California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to come to Canada, Joe. I know you. I know you haven't come to Canada, but, but lately, but but uh, you, you got to come to Canada. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. I cause I watch the show all the time, so I, I know I know what you. I know your feelings about Canada. But it's, here's the thing. Like everybody loves you in Canada. You know. So it's you got. I, I'm coming down here. Everybody's so stoked that I'm here, and. I, I love I, Canadians. I, I just hate their government. Mm -hmm. And Is that Pierre, how do you say his last name? Polyver? Yeah, well, it's French, so it's, it's, well, I don't think he's French, but the name's French. Pierre Polyev. Polyev. So it's sort of a weird yeah. R, silent R. Yeah, it's a strange, as, as you see it written down, it's very difficult Polyev. to remember. How yeah. That so, guy, mm -hmm. that guy makes so much more sense. Yeah. He, he's so common sense and just calling out all the nonsense that's been done under this administration. It's just so sad to watch. So this is the thing that I, I kind of, I guess, just wanted to throw out there, which is it's, it's, 
it's not unlike here in the U.S., right? You've got Biden as president now, right? And then mm-hmm. you've, you've got uh, essentially a Democrat. We actually call our Democrats the liberals, right? That's how, mm-hmm. that's how unabashed we are liberal up there. We actually call the party the liberal party. It's not a bad word up there, right? They actually call them the liberals. And the other ones are conservatives. And conservatives, liberals and conservatives. But it's the same thing, you know, like half the country hates the the party in power right now just like as much as anybody you know and it's a, just a constant thing and they want to get them out and and so you know i just uh, i just want to you know as a proud canadian want to throw out the distinction that uh, you know canada's you know it's like here it's the same bullshit that's here everybody's arguing about issues important issues it's being reinforced you know, through these algorithms, people get mad about it, mm-hmm. and then they start arguing. But so, you know, like I, I sometimes kind of go, wouldn't it be interesting if Pierre Polyev won the next election, right? Because then all of a sudden we'd have a conservative government up there. And uh, and uh, let's say Biden won down here. You got conservative government up there. And then Tucker Carlson might be going up to Canada talking about how great we are all of a sudden, you know, because <laughs> 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 it just can switch on a dime, you know. It so, could. Yeah. It could go back. And it has before. I've had, uh, you know, there's been... My lifetime, Joe Clark was the first conservative prime minister. Then there was uh, uh, Brian Mulroney and uh, Stephen Harper was pretty recent. So, but anyways, I don't like talking politics, but I do. I did bring something about Canada that I love. That I, I, I want. I want us. Okay, it's a good thing. I, uh, I'm trying not to talk politics too much because it's like, it's gross. It just every everybody gets all mad, you know. Yep. I just I don't fuck. I kind of think like. Wouldn't it be cool if the new thing became people start to realize that the division is almost worse than what we're arguing about? Like well, the that, division is absolutely worse than what yeah, we're arguing about. Yeah. Most people want good things. Oh, this is for you syrup. and your family. A, a, a huge uh, this, and I brought one for us too, just Jesus to try. Christ. This is the freshest, best Canadian maple syrup made by my friends, the Conboys, Ryan and Jason. Shout out to Ryan and Jason, George and Darlene, and they make this on their property. Damn. They have uh, you know thousands of maple trees tapped, wow. and this is you know a family-run business. They've been doing this for hundreds of years. Like that their, is a lot of work. Yeah, it's it's a whole maple syrup like making me. I've watched people make maple mm-hmm. syrup on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's crazy how much it, work is involved. And it's it's really kind of incredible to go see how they do it because they've built these like I can't describe it properly, but reverse osmosis machines where they have tubes coming you know with the sap from all the in the spring the sap starts flowing comes through these tubes from all through their woods on their property. It runs out to their their barn where they have these machines that do something called reverse osmosis. I don't know what it is doing exactly, but they have to do it. And then it goes into this giant vat with fires, with wood burn fires, and they boil the sap down until, you know, it becomes thicker and there's more sugar content. And then you have this delicious syrup. But I brought a couple of... Uh, it's literally the blood of trees that you pour on pancakes. It is, and you know what? Are we going to drink it, like in shot glasses? I just thought, as opposed to drinking whiskey till we're on the floor this time. I never made it to the floor, sir. You made it to the floor. <laughs> I maintained. I don't remember what happened. Level of motion <laughs> and the ability to conversate. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, well, dude, that's diabetes in a shot. Yeah, glass. we'll just we'll just do a shot. But I want you to see this is real maple syrup, okay. Canadian maple syrup. It's convoy maple syrup. They're my friends, They're the best, best friends that I, you know, that you'd ever want. And uh, 
It's not uh, your manufactured Cheers. sort of processed shit, you know? Cheers. Do you have to do it like a shot? No. That yeah, you gross. can. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. I can't drink this whole thing. Yeah. It's really good, though. Pour it on some it's pancakes. Delicious. Yeah. It just makes you think, like, how much sugar are you getting from pancakes with a pile of maple syrup? Are you getting a fuck ton of sugar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how much sugar is in, uh, what is a shot glass? How many ounces is that? I should know this. One ounce? <laughs> Let's just see how much sugar is in one ounce of maple syrup. Yeah. Yeah. God, how could you drink that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ooh. no, you don't really drink maple syrup, right? It's, we're just doing it for a gag. Know, for but fun. But pour it on your pancakes. Or... It's amazing how good it tastes on your pancakes. No, it's good in would... coffee. Put it in your coffee in the morning. Oh, so I, 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 I keep a big jug of it. 17 grams in a shot glass. Yeah, yeah. And I guarantee you, if I'm having pancakes, I am drowning those bitches. Yeah, absolutely. So I got you. I'll, I'll get you more whenever you need some. It's, it's it's the best. It's different than waffles with that on it. Oh yeah. Sun. Mm-hmm. Lots of butter. Oh 20. yeah. Up to twenty. Up to twenty. Okay. Twenty. Like so if I'm having pancakes, I'm having a hundred and twenty at least. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm pile, I'm pouring a bunch of maple syrup on that shit. Six ounces. Yeah. Easy. Easy six ounces, like a glass of it. Yeah, I'm getting in between the stack, mm-hmm. pouring a little in there. It's just a nice yeah. little boost, a little energy boost, you know. It's for like five minutes, yeah. and then you're in a coma and for then, the rest yeah. of the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But I guess if you're uh, out there on your farm, fucking throwing hay around all day, exhausted. Right? I I did Burn this off. this summer in August. Uh, we I have some some fields with hay. We cut the fields, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I have uh, some local farmers that helped me cut the fields to square bales. So you're really farming. Yeah, I had farming far- for real, for real. Farming hay for my for my animals. Yeah, I had 580 <laughs> bales of hay off the property this year, wow. and we had to lift it all, carry it all onto you know into a hay wagon. See, because. I'm going to try it a little, figure out a way to do it a little differently next year. But uh, yeah, normally they would, the farmers that have done my property for years, they've been doing it with these big circle round bales, you know. But uh, I wanted to get square bales this year because it's easier to handle for the horses every day, or the mules and the donkeys every day. Mm. So, so you, every day I go to the barn, I pick up a bale, feed the, they eat about a bale and a half of hay a day. It's cool because like from May, June till about, the end of September, you don't even have to feed them. They're just out in the pasture eating grass, mm. um, which I often think about, you know, when you think about vegetarians and you go, how do you put on, you know, muscle with just veg? And you can look at this giant animal, all it's right. doing is eating grass all day and they're massive. But, but, um, but yeah, so that, that I got to figure out a better way to get it in the barn this year because some of my friends- have to eat it all day mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between eating meat and eating grass. If yeah. you watch predators, predators eat and then they sleep all day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you watch a donkey. Yeah. Those motherfuckers are just eating all day long. Yeah. They have to eat all day long. Yeah. They're always eating. Yeah. Because yeah. there's not a lot of protein in that food. It's got to break down in their weird digestive tract. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's undulate digestive tract. So Fanny and Kiev come from a, a a pasture that had you know twenty other animals in it to this my place where they're just there by themselves with the whole field to themselves. So Fanny was putting on some weight last summer. I have to now kind of monitor should, how much she's out in the pasture. I should correct myself. Undulates are cows and shit. I'm thinking of like 
thinking of cows. Right, the deer. weird stomachs and stuff. I'm yeah. not exactly sure how I the th- stomachs work on these. I don't know how the on equines, mm-hmm. but I know that, like, to think that you could get that jacked eating vegetables is ridiculous. Right, that's what I was kind of thinking. Because <laughs> I always kind of vegans always like to make that comparison. Yeah, Look at gorillas, they eat nothing but vegetables. They have a totally different body. That's <laughs> like, true. They are also different. not humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're not yeah, human yeah, beings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean if you ate what a fucking horse eats, you'd look like a horse, you dumbass. Mm-hmm. You're not a horse. And also, do you know how annoying that would be to have to eat grass all day? It doesn't sound <laughs> like a blast. Not a lot of variety there. Yeah, all I think doing... about that. I have cookies for them. I have little. Uh, oh, that's cool. I have little. I have a, a vitamin, uh, sort of a vitamin mix of uh, you know, that I give them every day. Is uh, variation to their diet good though? Like for some animals, when you you, you got it. For instance, apples. Okay, I have apple trees at the property, and mm-hmm. she—that's one of the places she loves to walk towards the apple tree because right. there's apples on the ground. So, and I, she always—you know—you can feel her pulling towards the apple tree. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, you know, you don't want her to eat, you know, all, a bunch of apples because that can create acid in their stomach and they can get sick. Yeah, from I that. was wondering that. Yeah, like, so. what happens to them in the wild though if they find a bunch of apples? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not Do sure. They get fucked up. I'm, I'm not sure if they. I don't know the answer to that. That you know, but uh, maybe they kind of somehow self-regulate when they're left to their own. Mm. But you know, you can feed them uh, carrots. And uh, I, I, one thing I haven't done this yet, but I understand that they really like. I was just told because I'm actually thinking, what kind of variety can I give the ladies? You know, so they really like a frozen watermelon to be tossed into there. Oh no, kidding! So and they'll just bears like that too. Oh yeah, yeah. We went to a grizzly bear. Um, I guess it's just like a conservation center where they they have these enormous place it's in montana but it's they have it's they're like captive but it's really an enormous in in like construction thing and the bears have like swimming pools and shit and they would uh roll them out these frozen watermelons Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and watch them bite through a frozen watermelon will scare the living fuck out of you right because they go through it like it's nothing a grizzly does that i've seen hippopotamus do it on youtube but a grizzly does that too i think most of the time hippos are doing it it's not with a frozen one yeah yeah but they were saying that this bear's favorite treat is frozen watermelons so give him a frozen watermelon you just go through it like it's a grape see grizzlies are terrifying I I, 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 although I admit that I am also actually probably, it's probably not really a, a warranted or, or, or fear, but I am, I am nervous about these black bears, you know, on the property. You should be nervous. Yeah. What they are you do, talking about? They Why do attack people occasionally. They will attack you. Mm-hmm. And if, if black bears attack you, they're attacking you to eat you. Yeah. It's yeah. a little bit different. Statistically, the odds are in my favor. I think it's not as, like, grizzlies... They've attacked a lot of people. I think black bears maybe only attack like you know one person a year or something like that. And they attack people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a guy who got killed at, over by Rutgers in New Jersey. He mm-hmm. was killed by a black bear. Yeah, yeah. And there was a, a friend of uh, a buddy of mine's went hunting for his very first trip. He was in his tent at night, and a 500-pound predatory black bear yeah. tried to remove him from the tent. Mm-hmm. And his friend shot the bear and accidentally shot his friend in the wrist. Yeah. So he got shot in the wrist with a rifle. Mm-hmm. The bear gets shot. The bear runs off after it gets shot, and then they don't... Uh, the, the, I think they recovered it. I think it's dead. Yeah. But imagine your first night ever camping in a yeah. tent, and a yeah. black bear tries to pull you out and eat you. Yeah. So I think sometimes 
people bring food in their tent. That's one common mistake. So yeah, your food, bitch. Yeah, your yeah, food. Yeah, your yeah. food. Your food but, in the tent. Your pigs the, in a blanket. But if you bring in like you know, you, you should really. That is one thing that is why they go in the tents a lot. They smell. You know, someone brought their sandwich yep. in the tent or whatever. That's true. But uh, but yeah, no. I mean, look, I'm 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 not, I'm, not, I'm I'm right there with you. It, there's there's something about it though that. Well, you, you know, when you're out there in nature and you kind of, your, your sort of natural instincts kick in where you feel, you feel it. And the fact that, the fact that there is something unpredictable or that you don't understand out there is, um, kind of exciting, you know, like the fact that there is. No, I, I'm not really truly expecting to get attacked by a bear, but you know your senses are alert. You're listening into the woods. You know they're there. You know they know you're there, and they've probably left. Mm-hmm. But eh, maybe this is the one time where they're walking along with their cub, and you get in the wrong position at the wrong time. And so, you know, often when I go for a walk, I have uh, bear spray on me. I, I sometimes, you know, have a rifle on me. Uh, I don't carry it with me every time I leave the house, but I've got a few rifles and. And uh, that I, you know, I might, I'm, I, I'm, I've not really been a hunter, you know, tr- in my life, but I, I kind of, so many people around me, you know, around the country, everybody hunts and uh, I think I'm going to maybe. How much land do you have? 150 acres. So it's kind you of. Certainly hunt on that. Yeah. And there's deer and it's, it's quite, quite, sure. it's quite, um, something that I never really expected to, uh, to, to kind of live like that, but it's really kind of interesting. And then it backs on to lots of, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of acres of protected wilderness. So they, you know, it's... Are you allowed to hunt back there? Yeah, yeah, and and on my property too, so... Um, so. What is the tag allocation like? Do you get landowner tags? Do you get tags because you're a resident of the area? Like, uh, you still, you still have to get a hunting license. So right. in Canada, you know, it's... Uh, if you want to get a rifle, first of all, it's uh, completely different than in Texas, right? You can't just go buy buy one. You have to go take. It's like getting your driver's license. Essentially, you have to go take. You have to write a, a test, and you have to pass it, and you have to do a course, a safety course, and uh, then you have to send that into uh, the RCMP, the, the Canadian, you know, the Mounties, right? Mm-hmm. They review it, and then uh, a couple months later, you get your you get your. Uh, non-restricted firearms license, which allows you to go buy a rifle. I've been collecting lever action rifles, you know, so I've mm-hmm. got just, you know, I'm That's cool. relatively new to, to this, but I, you know, I, uh, when I was out in the desert, I, I had a shotgun with me. I had a hunting license when I was in New Mexico. I was trying to hunt some quail. Never saw a bird though. So it was, you know, I was hunting, but I never saw anything. So I didn't really do, it's, it's hard hunt. I was still hunting, but I never saw anything. So, right. but, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, 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 there's, that's why Trying to think of what I want to tell you here, Joe. That's why I think I really would love you to come up to Canada sometime and visit, maybe, and come up and do some shows up there. People would love to see you. Um, and there's just such a huge outdoors hunting, fishing culture. That's what being Canadian is. Once you get out of the city, right? It's people yeah. are just just. It's people love to hunt. People love to fish. I go ice fishing with my. My friends, we go set up a. Didn't they put new restrictions on firearms up there? They just they just banned handguns. Absolutely, yeah, but not rifles. Yeah, which is pretty extreme from an American uh, standpoint. Certainly, I mean to think that. So obviously, if you own handguns. Do you have to get rid of them? No, you're not allowed to sell them to anybody, and uh, you just you're stuck with them. So it's that that and that's the probably the biggest 
biggest um, change that's happened in, you know, the, you, there is also no uh, automatic weapons up there, so you can't get a AR-15, for example. So AR-15s uh, aren't automatic. Or, yeah, um, that caliber or whatever, automatic. whatever. yeah, you can't get those, those weapons. Um, but you can get a, you know, uh, a rifle, a shotgun. You know, I have a I have a 308, I have a 243, I have a 22, I have a shotgun, you know, mm -hmm. I have 20 gauge, 12 gauge, all, all the normal hunting uh, rifles are fine. So. What was the thought process behind banning firearms or banning pistols? Well, I don't, I don't, I wasn't really kind of, I, I think it was just uh, an was attempt to curb. Was voted on? Well, they, they voted for the government and the government did it. So, yeah. so, you know, um, so, uh, you know, obviously some people aren't too happy about it. One thing about Canada is like there's the gun culture is different up there. It's mo mo more people are, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble with the people that are handgun enthusiasts in Canada, but it's just not as common up there more. It's more about hunting and, and, uh, hunting rifles and, but there are probably a lot of people that are pretty upset about it for sure. Um, but, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's they're not they're not actually taking away people's rifles or, or anything like that. So, but um, one of the exemptions is individuals train, compete, or coach in a handgun shooting discipline that is on the program of International Olympic Committee or the International Paralympic Committee. Looks like someone's going to have to become a shooter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I compete. I'm, I'm personally I compete not in shooting. That's why I have to have this gun. I'm not really like. I don't really, you know, I like I like my lever action rifle. And I, I like my shotgun. I think I might, might hunt turkeys this year. I'd like to do that. We have mm -hmm. a lot of turkeys on the property. I'm not really. Uh, I don't necessarily feel like I need a handgun. Um, it's 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 a different kind of. Uh, I don't necessarily feel that anybody yeah. should tell me that I can't have a handgun. Yeah, especially yeah. not the government. Yeah, especially not the government that's already done some really shady shit. Yeah, like what yeah. they did with the truck drivers. Right. Well, I'm from Ottawa too, yeah. so uh, the the trucker rally was was interesting. Dude, they fucking took away their bank accounts. Mm -hmm. they, they they seized people's. They closed people's and froze people's bank accounts. That just donated money. Yeah, is that coffee? Yes. You know, you know what? I, I was uh, first of all the trucker rally is was interesting because I'm from Ottawa, so I grew up. You know, the Parliament Hill. I'm sure you saw it on the news, like the mm -hmm. the, the Parliament buildings is our is our basically our Congress and our, our Senate combined, right. essentially, the House of Commons and the Senate. You know, downtown Ottawa is like Washington D.C. Right? That's that's our Washington D.C. I grew up there. I grew up skateboarding on the parliament building's front steps, you know. I did a radio show. This is something about the freedoms of Canada that I think is interesting, okay? When I was a kid, I did a college radio show. And uh, it was midnight till two in the morning. And, it, and I, I would say during the show, okay, after the show, everybody uh, show up on Parliament Hill, bring a soccer ball, let's go play soccer. And then we'd show up there with pizzas and we'd play soccer on the front lawn of the Canadian government till four in the morning, every half hour, the bell would go bang, bang. The RCMP cops would come. They'd shine their lights out on the, on the field. It was super positive, right? Um, I love Ottawa. It's an amazing city. Um, and and I, I, I understand that everybody has the right to express their, their, uh, their, uh, their uh, dissent, right? 
And I think Trudeau probably did overstep with some of his uh, reaction to that, with some of the things he said specifically. But, but there was also this element of not only was the city shut down, there's people that live downtown. So there, you know, those horns were these air horns. There was, there was really kind of, there's babies sleeping. It's like really like a neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny in a way, the, the difference between Canadians and Americans sometimes. I'm both, right? I'm a dual citizen. I love, I love, I love. Fence rider. No, I just, I just love both countries. You know, <laughs> I've lived here for 20 years. I, you know, um, I, uh, I, um, but what what um, you know what is sort of a comparable thing I think was you know what you know in the United States they on January was it January sixth they mm-hmm. you know they did more than freeze those people's bank accounts right they threw them all in jail right so they threw a lot of them in jail know, yeah so yeah. it's sort of I'd say it's like a comparison comparable thing it's like I guess that's the thing I just kind of no that's different feel is it's like that's, hold there's on sort of hold comparisons on. hold on right? hold on first of all it's different because <laughs> yeah. they entered into the Capitol building right right you're not supposed to do that yeah. They, a lot of people broke glass, yeah. they smashed windows, they mm-hmm. did a lot of shit. It was also, it's not comparable because it seems like they were instigated in some way, yeah. at least partially, by by people in the audience that wanted them to go in there. Yeah. Now, whether those people were federal agents, or whether those people are Antifa, or whether those people are Democratic operatives that want to turn this into chaos because it's a great way to attack Donald Trump, Yeah. whatever it was. There definitely was people that were instigating people to get into the building. There's video recordings of it. There's also weird instances of cops opening gates, letting people in. Mm -hmm. The fact that it was severely Mm under-policed. When they had the George Floyd protest, the Black Lives Matter protest, they had way more cops there for that than they did for this crazy thing where the dude is denying the election and his rabid fans are going to show up. And you're not prepared for this? That seems – the whole thing seems like – if I was going to make a playbook, if I was going to instigate a bunch of dumbasses to go do something really stupid because it will make their leader look like a fascist and, and Hitler, mm-hmm. that's how I would do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you have that, too. Yeah. It's not as simple as the trucker protest was a legitimate protest where a bunch of people were like, why are you telling me that I have to take this experimental medic- medication or I can't work? Yeah, yeah. Like, where is the fucking information? Where is – and now – over time, we've seen now that the, the you know the, the the studies that they did do, they don't have to release them for like seventy five years. Mm-hmm. You know about all that, like yeah, all yeah. The, the paperwork involving mm-hmm. the vaccines. Yeah. What is what is the exact ruling of like what information they're withholding for seventy five years? Let's be real clear on that. But then it's also how many people we know that got injured by it. Yeah. You're you're smart to be reluctant to do something that's new, given the history and track record of pharmaceutical drugs in this country. Absolutely. Especially when you have a novel, new thing. The idea that this is going to be the one that's absolutely innocuous. You should at, least, at the very anyone. least, you should be able to, to, to consider not doing it, talk about not doing it. But listen, mm. man, there's no drugs like that. There's mm. no drugs that have a, a gigantic effect on anything that don't have some people that have horrible adverse reactions to them yeah yeah. even normal shit Mm. some people people die from tylenol all the time man they overdose on it people die from all kinds of medication it turns out they have an allergy to Mm. it's like weird shit happens with people when you start if and people are right to be reluctant yeah 
But you might be right and you might be wrong, but you're right to express that you don't think the government should be able to tell you what you can and can't do, Specif specifically about putting something into your body or you can't work. That's yeah. crazy. So that's yeah. that protest. It's a different yeah. protest. Yeah, for the sure. The whole vibe Absolutely. behind it's different. Absolutely. It's it, in is response, a, it is a different subject, for sure. It's but, in response to tyranny. Uh, FOIA requests, the FDA had previously said that it takes approximately eight minutes per page to process records for the FOIA request and that it could only review and release 500 pages a month, which is... 6,000 pages a year at that rate it would take 75 years to release all the data <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, that's so crazy. I guess the point I'm trying to make which is outside oh. of the weeds of it is When I'm hanging out in Canada Half the people I talk to are so excited for me to come down here and they're all like they're you know, they were Support of the truckers, right? Like this was not yeah. like this was not some it's not some fringe thing in Canada. Maybe the people that actually got in their truck and drove there and right. camped out there, maybe that was a little bit more of a you know dedicated protester than the average citizen. But there's you know it's just like here, you know, you get people fuck Joe Biden, fuck you know, Trudeau. They you, kept you know, chanting you know, it at the you know, UFC. You know, you know what you would probably be amazed to see i don't know if this is so common in canada that we just don't even really i don't even think to mention it driving around everywhere in the country in the city everywhere people pick up trucks fuck trudeau flags yeah it says fuck trudeau black flag white letters canada flag on it people are mad um and so it's not just like Everybody in Canada is just down with it. Now, enough people are down with it that he got elected, but he might not get elected the next time, and then then, then that'll be just like I it is down here. I hope he doesn't. It might just be like it is down here. If he gets elected again, you guys are gluttons for punishment. Yeah, it could be. It could be the same as here. Biden could get elected again. Trump could get elected. It's They're, sort of like this is uh, – I was, I was thinking the other day, I'm almost kind of wondering – this is obviously a stupid idea, but I'm, I'm wondering like maybe – wouldn't it be almost be better if we just got rid of the elections and just let, let the conservatives run it for four years and then just automatically the liberals run it four years? I, I, I can pick a, whole, a million holes in why that wouldn't work. But, and just let it go back and forth and then people can just be like, OK, let's just all get along. Let them have four years at running the country, do what they do, let the other side run for four years. It's kind of a pendulum that goes back and forth anyways. And then we can kind of get back to, you know, just all getting along and... Uh, well, if, you know. even if that did happen, the same problem would take place. And yeah. it's that the people that are embedded, that are running the government, the real people behind the curtain, they're always there. Yeah. They don't get elected. Mm -hmm. They're always there. And those are the people that are actually running the government. Which So it would be the same horse shit that we're dealing with now. Mm -hmm. Every four years, some new spokesperson comes in play, uh -huh. and they do a bunch of shit that pisses off half the country. And at the, the, the same thing behind the scenes, the same people are running things. Yeah, it's so frustrating. And I got to the point where I started to kind of um, just try to disconnect from the, from the conversation, which sounds yeah. – sometimes I feel bad about it because, you know, you want to have – you want to have a social – you know, contribution awareness. To, yeah, but then you go, man. I just don't feel like talking about the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over. It's like, yeah. yeah. But, uh, what I was gonna say though is that, you know, like 
the whole system is set up so that one person can't be in control for too long. That's the whole idea about term limits. You got four years and then you get elected again, you get another four years and then you're fucking done. Mm -hmm. I don't, this is, I'm just saying this, this is not something that I like fully support, but there's something to be said for someone staying in there for a long time and getting it right if they're good at it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, if I was it backfires in any other yeah. job, yeah. it would backfire with power and control. Yeah. The problem is we are terrified of having someone like Putin yeah. who's in, in control of Russia for decades. Yeah, right? no, for sure. But if you had someone who was good at the job, you would want them to stay on the job. Like if you had the best CEO of your company, you're making record money and everything's doing great and the products mm -hmm. are incredible. Mm -hmm. yeah. You'd want to keep that guy as a CEO. He's obviously killing it. And when Steve Jobs was running Apple, he's killing it. You don't yep. want to remove him as a CEO. Because well, you, know, you know how long it takes to build anything, right? Right. And how long it, it takes, takes to get good at your job. to build anything. Right. Yeah. And to figure out who are the right people, who's, who's backstabby, who's, you know, who's fucking, who's... You know, what, what are the issues? Who's trying to climb the political ladder and they're just f thinking about themselves only? They're sociopaths. Figure it out. It takes a long time to fucking work your cabinet now. Work all if you had a, a president that was a young president that gets in at like 38, 40 years old right. mm -hmm. and d 20 years of running the country correctly, mm -hmm. that's what most of these dictatorships have yeah. as a benefit. Yeah, It's horrible for the people. But the benefit of having one guy run things and yeah. just keep it locked up, and this is the right way to do it. We've been doing it this way forever. This is correct. Yeah. It's interesting that, yeah, you got a couple. The most important job ever, and a new guy gets it, or a new woman, right. never yet, but someday, every four years. Yeah. That's crazy. And 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 often trying to undo everything that was yes. done the four years before. Yeah, well, so that's what term limits, limits brought in. But then on the flip side, you know, we don't have term limits in Canada, and Trudeau's going to be there for you know. If you're if you're not a fan of Trudeau, you go, oh, I wish we had term limits, you know, because because he's been there over ten, over eight years now, right? So uh, and right, but, but he that's because he, be he's getting, getting elected voted out. out. He might, he might yeah. be getting voted out. It seems like the Canadians are uh, leaning towards getting rid of him. Is that correct? You know, it's one of those things where it's 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 kind of feels like it's almost like fifty fifty ultimately, but who knows? It, I, I think it definitely who feels is, like it could happen. Who doesn't want to get rid of them? Who are those people? A lot of it's regional. It's it's. I guess it's. Ex you know what? You I I I keep. I kind of. If we. I knew if we were going to talk about this, I wanted to kind of sort of make this point because I again I want Americans to understand what Canada is. It's exactly like here. It's the same people that the same type of people that like Biden are the people that like Trudeau. Like the people in Canada that mm -hmm. vote for Trudeau are the exact same people that, that they like Biden too. Right. There, there's nobody in Canada that likes Trudeau that also likes Trump. There's also nobody in Canada that likes Pierre Polyev that likes Biden. It's exactly right. the same. It's the same division. It's this, even on social media, it's the same. Mm. Like you go on social media, you go on TikTok, you got angry conservatives in Canada saying. Fuck Trudeau, and you know we're turning into a communist country, and all of this stuff, like completely, completely the exact same thing as here. So, so it's, it's just, uh, it's just if I was, I'm not here, like try to be a spokesperson for Canada or anything, but <laughs> that would they would not want that. Well, I, I think, think that's what scares but, us the most yeah. about Canada mm -hmm. is that Canada is so similar to the United States, mm -hmm. but we're seeing your rights erode. Mm -hmm. 
There's also weird bills that keep getting passed. You know, the C-16 bill, mm -hmm. the, you know, mandatory pronouns, mandatory use of someone's pronouns. And then there was the, the fact that you guys don't really have freedom of speech. You have hate laws. You have hate speech laws. Yeah. And then you also have some weird shit going on with Canada trying to regulate the Internet. Yeah. And with the government trying to regulate podcasts and make podcasts subject to their... They did try. They, the, they, I, I, I did a little research on this in case it came up. <laughs> um, they, they tried uh, and they haven't, they haven't put into effect uh, that uh, regulation of the internet of, as far as regulating uh, disinformation. That has not been put into effect. And Trudeau actually said he would not put, in, put that into effect. It was a you know, sort of a subset of, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, you've got your extreme left wing here and then you have cooler heads and they did not actually put that into effect. Um, Is it still on the table? Uh, he, Trudeau has said that he would never put that into effect. Well, I think he's saying that now the, because he's knows and he's we, fucked. And so the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, okay, that's kind of like our constitution, I guess. They, they say we have freedom of expression, freedom mm -hmm. of the press, freedom of assembly. So... So but we just do the have fact that you have elements of your government that would even consider that. Yeah, but it's like that's here. Terrifying. It's, it's like it's yep, like here. It it's is like here. And that's, it's that's the same. It's exact just the kind same. It's the same thing. Like if you don't agree with it, then it's the same thing as you know, you know, fuck Joe Biden. You know, it's mm -hmm. the same thing. Fuck Trudeau. Fuck you know? Trudeau. Same so thing. and so you know, because because it's 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 interesting. Like I I just really want you know Americans who are you know just not uh, have never been to Canada. To understand that, like, there's are a you lot. working for the Canadian Ministry of? I would consider it something. Tourism you know, and travel. You know what I was thinking about? Like, in Canada, you don't have to be born in Canada to run for prime minister. You could run for prime minister of Canada and uh, come up and uh, <laughs> and and solve all this stuff. I mean, you have to live up there, but it's a nice place. You come <laughs> on, come on up to Canada. You could, you would win too. That's the thing that would be amazing. You'd be, you, you would win, and you could just imagine if I became prime minister of Canada. Can you imagine? I was just thinking. Do you think it's crazy Donald Trump being president of the United States? That would be next craziest thing. That would be the next craziest thing. More but, crazy. I'm almost more crazy because at least he was like hinting about running for president forever. Yeah. If I just on a whim. Just decided to go run for the prime minister of Canada and win because you would you would win because you have so many fans up there you really do and that's that's why I want that's so scary that I'm is so unqualified to run a country well I mean you've got a lot of uh, you know valid concerns and uh, you feel strongly about things I think uh, you should run I would support you I think that would be amazing I want to roll up to the World Economic Forum high on mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> See, in Canada, by the way, <laughs> mushrooms are basically legal in Canada now. Weed is yeah. – well, here's something. Trudeau, again, not, uh, not – he did legalize weed. That is one thing that he did do. So, Congratulations. Uh, yeah. He did one good thing. <laughs> it's just he's a weasel. That's the yeah. problem. He's what I don't like in leaders, this yeah. fake mm -hmm. bullshit mm -hmm. fucking – nonsensical gaslighting i just that shit drives me nuts it's so creepy and then using all the inclusive terms to make it seem like everybody else is a piece of shit mm -hmm. and you're an amazing human being and you're on the right side of progressive movement like mm -hmm. it's all just a bullshit act to stay in power yeah and when you see politicians do it you know they just fucking 
wet their finger and try to figure out which way the wind's blowing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and say those things and then act in the interests of whatever money got them into that position in the first place. Yeah. Whatever machine is behind them, mm-hmm. whatever support they get. That's that's all they're doing. And those types of politicians, that's not the only kind you can have. You know? It's kind of like Yeah, it's You can have real leaders. They they do exist. It's such a huge sort of thing to wrap your head around you know it's, it's capitalism it's money it controls everything it's i mean i kind of feel just leaving los angeles leaving hollywood right kind of has a has sort of reset a little bit of oh, yeah. my you know like you know uh, you know this more than anybody else of course but you know because we even talked about this whatever it was 20 years ago on my podcast about how you know you can democratize uh media with podcasting and get rid of all this money controlling everything yeah. controlling and so it's sort of a you know a micro micro sort of more it's a similar thing to just politics in general you know money comes in controls everything it can be so frustrating especially now when you can see that um you know you don't necessarily have to play that game anymore so yeah it, well, it's also the hive mind of hollywood you're leaving there's a thing that happens in that town, in that area, where the the people that think outside of the norm say it in like whispered, hushed tones. Mm-hmm. There's a, a certain ideology that's attached to that city, and it's not logical. It's a kooky, wacky, uh, completely insulated left-wing view of the world, and they enforce it with an iron fist. And if you're not on that team, you don't get booked for things. You don't get picked for things. If you're someone who has uh, conservative leanings or you talk about conservative, there's projects you're never going to get. You're never going to be involved with. People will uh, they'll malign you and without knowing you at all, be openly prejudiced about you. And uh, so no one does it. So everyone who goes over there who's just like desperately trying to make it, they're desperately trying to get in movies, they're desperately trying to, to get a recording deal, whatever it is they're desperately trying to do. Mm-hmm. The last thing they want to do is do something and talk about something that's going to politically get them at odds with the people that run the studios. Mm-hmm. So no one does. Everybody just follows the same sort of wacky ideology that these people take from the universities they go straight into working as a PA and straight into working for executives and producers, and all of those people are indoctrinated. They're all in this wild-ass cult of weirdness. And then you have people that move there to try to make it, and these people are just always going on auditions. So they're always like, please choose me, please choose me. And no, they didn't choose me. And so you're trying to be friends with the people mm-hmm, who choose people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're trying to get them into parties, mm-hmm, trying mm-hmm. to introduce them to other people. You're trying to be around other famous oh, people. Getting anxiety. So that, this just person's about been chosen. Mm-hmm. I got to be around the chosen mm-hmm. person. We're going to go to the chosen person's party. Yeah. Maybe we can get chosen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. They, so that you get this like overwhelming anxiety that fills the fucking city. Yeah. And then now you have TikTokers and influencers and all these people that are just trying to do anything to get famous. Yeah. And that the reality stars and all that started it all off and the fucking real housewives and all that wacky shit. You get away from that. You're like, oh, there's real people out there. There's real people. That's a storm of anxiety. Uh-huh, it's absolutely. just a hurricane of confusion and Zoloft and fucking wah! Uh-huh. And everyone's losing their mind and everyone's in therapy and everyone's fucking nuts and everyone's trans. It's out of touch. Yeah. It's just a crazed cult. Yeah, it's like, you know, 
you start out as a stand-up comedian and you are trying to, you know, poke uh, holes in the, you know, the absurdity of the world and you're saying things that are not being said on stage and then, you know, as, you know, you all of a sudden get brought into, and I'm sort of saying the the every stand-up comedian, every outlier, every person that's a doing something different, a punk rocker, a skateboarder, a, you know, my goofy show was so out, out there when I was making it. And I was making it, I was rebelling against, you know, in Canada, in my little little public access show, I was kind of trying to rebel against what obviously seems like a formulaic mainstream way of thinking to create art, right? And then you move to Los Angeles because, well, the show got on MTV. I end up moving to Los Angeles. Now you're I'm talking about myself now. You're in the all, trance. All of a sudden being asked to go on, um, you know, the show, the Tonight Show, Saturday Night Live, and you're on these shows. And, you know, I was sort of sort of a bit of a naive, you know, moron, basically, you know, like in, 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 in purposefully so. I would go on these shows, try to go nuts, right, and try to do something crazy and just try to sort of, <laughs> sort of almost disrupt the whole format of it, right, in those first couple of years as a naive person who didn't understand how Hollywood worked. And I was just, I, you know, I went on, I had a similar thing to our last appearance here on Jay Leno. I went on Jay Leno when uh, I had a film coming out. I went on Jay Leno and, and uh, we, I came up with this bit. Let me roll the, the bar. They had a, you know, remember they had the bar cart, the J bar. Mm-hmm. I'll roll it out on stage during the show and then I'll do a shot of Jagger with, with Jay. You know, Jay doesn't. This is a crazy story. I probably told you this before, but I, I do a shot of Jaeger with, with, with Jay, and Jay doesn't drink. So he said, okay, well, I'll throw it over my shoulder, right? So we go there, and I'm with my, my buddy who's, you know, you, you know, I have a buddy who, like, pushes you further into the darkness, right? Mm. Like, you know, like, you know, you, 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 got a, you got a bad idea, and he pushes you further and makes it even worse. Use so, the force. Yeah. So we're in the green room getting ready. I'm in the green room with my buddy getting ready to go on the show, and, and he goes, do a shot now before you go on. I'm like, oh, okay, so I do a shot now before I go on, right? And get ready to go on. The, the, the bit's all approved with The Tonight Show, you know? It's, it's a gag. They know I'm doing real Jagger, right? But it wasn't planned that I would do a shot before I go on. He goes, do another shot before you go on. Two shots. Two shots. Do another one. So now I walk out, I'm three shots in before the show even starts. Oh, boy. You're yeah. hammered. Well, pretty then, quickly. Then, yeah. And then I got out there and I did a shot and the audience goes crazy and cheers, right? And so then I do another shot and so I end up doing like oh. way too many shots and it kind of ended up very similarly to oh. our last, uh, our last uh, conversation here. And, uh, and it, was, it was actually pretty hilarious. Uh, it was one of those things where, you know, it, it did get out of control. You know, the next day, uh, the, there was a, the, the New York Post it's, had my picture and it said, dead drunk. You know, it was just like one of those. Things. And, uh, and uh, you know, Jay called me at home the next day. Are you okay, man? You know, really kind of went. Uh, but then, you know, then that was sort of the beginning of me realizing, oh, you know, you can't. <laughs> Why Tom Green went on Leno and deliberately got drunk. Yeah. And, and, you know, in hindsight, I go, well, that was, you know, kind of the outrageous kind of young version of me that I was doing on the show that made perfect sense to do that for a gag. Uh, but then, you know, the naive kid in me didn't understand, well, you know, 
a lot of people in Hollywood did not understand that and then got mad in the movie people studio. People got mad at you? Well, like the movie studio, I was on promoting a movie and they were like, oh, we don't want you to go any more talk shows for the movie. I'm like, oh, I was like well, what? I was, it was a joke. I was obviously, it was a joke. And they're, they're not interpreting it as a joke. They're interpreting it as as me being kind of out, out of control. control. Which, yeah, exactly. But it was a it was a... A manufactured out of control. I was out of control, but it was planned. It was planned <laughs> confusion, right? So, but that kind of subtlety didn't really uh, didn't really kind of pass the the smell test. So, so then you start to go, oh, geez, I better tone it down a little bit. You know, better be better better tone it down a little bit because this, and, and you sort of end up falling into that feeling where all of a sudden you're, like you said, going to an audition or driving out to a meeting and. Or just, to, just to, being a person that you're not. Yeah, exactly. Like trying if to... you're hosting a late night talk show yeah. and now all of a sudden yeah. you're this sort of wearing a tie, yeah. this odd mm-hmm. button down. And trying to yeah. make something that they like mm-hmm. and fit into mm-hmm. their mold and you know try to get your own little creative shots off within that mold. But no longer are you actually being purely yourself. Right. Right. And, uh, and you can't. And, it's and not so even possible. And, you know, you end up living there for 20 years, end up living there for 20 years, and it becomes normal pretty quickly, right? And then mm. and then you sort of slowly forget, oh, you know, oh, this is just the way it works, I guess, now. And then uh, eventually, you know, one day you go, I'm getting out of here. And I, I got to say, um, you know, when you, when you moved here, it was a bit of a... Uh, a, a light bulb, I think, for me too. It was inspiring for me because I, I, I sort of realized, oh, look at that, Joe's leaving. You know, because you, you, you were always at the comedy store, the, all the clubs. It was a scene in L.A., and you're thinking, wow, like Joe, Joe's just going to go do it on his own and just turn his back on this whole infrastructure here. And I was like, yeah, you can do that. You don't have to be here. And and it was really inspiring, and you know, it, and it inspired a lot of people. And uh, and uh, and I can tell you, uh, again, it's now living in the uh, the woods, not far from where I grew up. We had a cottage when I was a kid, pretty close to where I grew up. They've got these birds there called whippoorwills, right? Whippoorwill, whippoorwill. They make this sound. They're really unique sounding bird, right? Hank Williams sings about them, and uh, and. I grew up as a kid hearing those in the woods at night, you know, just at dusk we hear them. And now like when I, I'm going to bed, I hear those and I'm going like, oh, I feel like like the sounds of my childhood. Like you're enriched. And the smells of my childhood and the even the things, you know, the mosquitoes, yeah. the, the horse flies. And you're like, even the, 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 the you know, the, 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 the large mouth, mouth bass in the, in the lake and the, you know, the, you know, the, the red winged blackbirds and all those sounds and smells and everything. And you feel like yourself again. And it's like, and there was, there was, you know, it was for, for, for 20 years, I'd, I'd be like driving up Laurel Canyon, looking at palm trees. And, and, and for 20 years, I, even after 20 years living in the same house, I never felt like I was actually at home. I felt like mm-hmm. I was off on some business trip trying right. to, and I, I remember saying, you know, even just, even after living there 15, 20 years, like. What the hell am I doing in Los Angeles? This is crazy. I'm yeah. Like, what, what? This is a weird place. You know, it's like a weird place, and um, you know, you feel almost like you have to be there. Now everything's changed. The internet, I think, and I think COVID did that for a lot of people too, because all of a sudden everybody's locked in their house, 
and you're dealing with people in these Zoom calls and the internet's changed. You don't have to be anywhere anymore. We realize we can be wherever we want. You know, you took your entire organization away and it's bigger than ever and light bulbs start going off and you're like, wow, you know what? That's that's really cool. I'm going to go home. Well, yeah. when we were living in L.A., you're, you're always thinking of yourself as someone who wants to work with the system. You're always thinking of that. Mm -hmm. Always. I mean, I was on television shows. I did all that stuff. Did a couple of movies. You're always working with the system. Yep. So no matter what you do, you're working with, even when you put out specials, you're putting out specials, you're, you're meeting with these people, you're working with the system. And you start to think that that's what you do. That's mm -hmm. the business that you're, but it's not. What yeah. you do is what you do. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. What you do is what you do. And you could do what you do wherever you want to do it. Yeah. Especially once you get good enough at it that you have an audience and like, you're supposed to take a chance. You're not supposed to like keep living your life by these like bizarre tyrants and their rules and regulations about mm -hmm. the way, and the way they behave and the way they fucking, the, the, it's so ridiculous. It's such a bizarre place to be. And when you realize that you don't need that anymore, and comedians today realize they don't need that anymore. All they need is a TikTok account or a, a YouTube account, an Instagram account, a Twitter account, and some good content. And if you get on podcasts, people will check you out. They'll try you out. And there's a gigantic organic network of comedians. We're all friends with each other, and we all get on each other's podcasts, and we all trust each other. Like, if I tell you this guy's really funny, go see him. Like, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not, I'm not, I would not ever lie. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have them on if I didn't think they were funny, mm -hmm. if I didn't like them. If they didn't, weren't nice people. I'm not interested. Yeah. So there's this beautiful, organic thing, and that's the real network now. That's the real network. It's an organic network. It's, there's no contracts. So every comic that I know that has contracts with other comics, they start doing things together. It always goes south. I mean, maybe it can not go south once or twice. I mean, maybe there's some great people that are figured out. I mean, Tom Segura seems like he's figured out how to do it with your mom's house. But that's like almost it. Everybody else that I know that gets involved with deals and it's like just fucking just help each other. Just yeah. help each other organically. That was what I really loved about hanging at the mothership the last two nights is the energy there is different. Like for, a com for the comedy club, just in the, in the green room. Like, I mean, I just, it was, you felt it. You can tell that you've created an energy there that is uh, supportive, right? All the comics are just hanging out in the green room, smoking cigarettes, and everyone's talking and just, you know, it's super chill. And, and I, you know, I did, you know, sometimes find that, you know, it wasn't always like that, you know, when you're at a comedy club, you know, and other people, comedians are sometimes a little more, feel a little more competitive with each other and there's a little it's bit so more stupid. It, you know. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. Any competition that you have with other comedians is inspiration. That's all you should look at it. You should, if someone's doing really well and you, you're like, wow, I wish I was doing that well, great. That's inspiration to work harder. That's inspiration to go write more, do more sets, re reevaluate your material, go over it better, do something, write more. Have some life experiences that you can translate and into your act. Like, go, work harder. That's yeah. it. It's like that. It's just you. You should just be inspired. And if that person's a good person, you should be happy for them. And that's what we can all do. This idea that we're all in competition with each other is just stupid. It's not good for anybody. I was uh, stoked to get to uh, see your uh, 
work in progress, your new hour that you're working on. That was incredible. Thank uh, you. Yeah, that was really fun. You got such a great place to watch the show there. Too. I mean, the, first of all, Fat Man Room, little Fat Man Little Boy, awesome. Uh, I mean, I just love the the way you've set up for the comics where you can go and sit on that balcony up there and just watch the, the show. The very you, nice. It was yeah. just really... Uh, amazing uh, to watch you uh, working out your uh, new your new your new shit. It's fu- fucking awesome, and I, I enjoyed our conversation because I've, I've I've watched a lot of your um, interviews with with comedians here, and I saw your interview with Louis, and you were talking about writing, and saw your interview with Bill Burr. You're talking about writing, and you know there's sort of this thing where a lot of comics don't write, and we were talking about this a little bit the other day, but yeah, I love the process of hearing how the process works for, for you because I kind of do a mixture of things too. I, 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 I like to, I like to go sit at a computer and type stuff up and then, but it's always, I've always found it hard to like, this is a question I kind of have for you because when, when you go right, you work it out on stage and, uh, you know, you're, you got your idea, you got your premise, you got your punchlines, you got your, you know, your bit and you're working it on stage. And then I, I, I found it really inspiring actually because um, first of all, I love I love I love the way it works with stand up. Like you, you, when you showed up at the at the green room, you're about to go on stage and you're like focused, you know, you're like focused and you're going through your notes and you're focused and I'm like, you know, I can tell you're focused, right? Then you go out, you kill it, you you come back in and you see the, you know, that that adrenaline rush, and then we're just you know, and then we're everyone's just you're just relaxed and it's just that that release, right? Yeah. And then we were just talking about writing, and you, you said you're going to go home and actually, I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if you want people to know this is too far into the behind the curtain or whatever. No, but it's you're, okay. You're going to go I, home and write after. I just think that's so cool. I, you know, while it's fresh, you go home and actually type type up some stuff. And that's write when it. I've been doing some yeah. of my best writing. Yeah. There's like a two-hour window that I have where I'm still jazzed from being on stage. Right, right, right. And you're you're still kind of thinking in that mindset. You yeah. Know, you got to just kind of, and don't let yourself relax too much. Like, kind of stay in that mindset right and then you know as long as i'm not up too late where i get tired then i'm forcing it you know so but if i can get home at a reasonable time and i've got a lot of energy i get my best writing in i get some of my best ideas because i'm already thinking like comedy yeah you know you just had it yeah you you have the exact words and rhythm in your head Mm -hmm. and that's that i thought was a bit of a a light bulb for me i I, that's inspiring because you know I, i i I often find it's like you know when you write something down, you have or or when you do the set and you, you know, maybe write it down after, and then you, you know, don't go get to writing it, and then you never remember what the rhythm mm-hmm. was later. Yeah, like, well, what the hell was it I said again? God, right. So I know it was way funnier than what I'm writing right, right. now. You know, so that's uh, that's that, why recordings are so important. Yeah, just yeah. put your phone on the little you know voice recording yeah. thing just just to get a reference. Yeah, I was uh, I was talking to. Uh, you know, Louis C.K. Uh, had a conversation with him about this, and uh, it was pretty interesting because I've kind of, you know, I like to drink, but I I kind of quit. I, I really have cut back drinking in the last. <laughs> <laughs> I you know I quit drinking like three days ago. No, I yeah. uh, no, but stand up. You know, I sort you know I I. I I wasn't doing stand-up when I was doing my TV show. I'd done it when I was a kid. I stopped. I did my TV show. Started again like you know, 13, 14 years ago. was drinking a lot like I like to drink, like everybody likes to drink. And I go on the road and I started realizing, man, like even if I go out drinking Friday night after the show, my Saturday night shows aren't as good as they could have been because I'm kind of like 
carrying a little bit of this alcohol around in me from the night before. I, I, over. I, I quickly realized, you know, the beginning was like, oh, I'll have a beer on stage, right? Then I, then I go, oh, I better not have a beer on stage. I'll wait till after the show to have a drink. So then after the show Friday night, you know, you know, on the road, it's fun. You know, you're in Cleveland. Let's go. Let's party. We're in Cleveland. You know, so, you know, you have a, <laughs> have a few too many drinks after the show Friday night. And of course, I was, you know, younger too, right? I was, you know, my 30s. So you can handle it a little more too than when you're 52. So, but then every year that went by, I was like, oh, those Saturday night shows are getting a little harder to get through, you know? And it's just one too many Saturdays just lying in my hotel room, just waiting for the show to start hungover, going, oh my God, and then gone, and then dreading and being on stage. So then I, then I decided I was going to quit drinking when I'm doing stand-up. Like, so I'm not drinking this weekend, uh, you know, the, uh, until maybe Sunday night, you know, maybe I'll have a drink Sunday night. Uh, Maybe even Saturday night, I could do a hungover show Sunday. Yeah. But, but <laughs> gotta have a little fun. Listen, but, I got a solution for yeah. you. IV drips. Yeah. Oh, it's a game changer. So I can keep drinking. You bring that right on stage with you, the no. IV? No. I'm just kidding. You don't bring the, the IV on stage. The next day, yeah, yeah, yeah. Goose. <laughs> the next day, yeah, get yeah. a, a mm-hmm. high dose vitamin IV. Well, the thing that I've been enjoying about kind of scheduling it where it's like I don't drink for a couple of days before, you know, a week, uh, a weekend like this, we're doing five shows, is like I find, and this is what I was talking about with Louie about where I had a, you know, I, we're not close friends, but I had an opportunity to have a conversation with him about this once, and it was pretty cool because the way his mind thinks is, is, is so, you know, analytical about this type of specific, mm-hmm. everything comedy, right? And I was telling him, I was saying, you know, I, I stopped drinking before I go on stage because, you know, I feel like there was this period where I didn't have a drink for a couple of weeks. And when I was doing crowd work, I was just coming up with stuff that I would never, you know, you know, when you have a great set of crowd work and you get up, yeah. you know, I came up with this intricate story that I told. And it was clear my mind was operating in a different level than it would have been had I just had a few beers the night before even, right? And uh, and then he said something I'd never really even occurred to me before, which is, you know, when you're working on a set, you know, if you, if you have like a little bit of booze in your system, even from the night before, when you're up there working on a set, you don't remember the stuff that happened on stage as well either. So then when you go home, you don't really even recall, you know, and that's the biggest, you know, the big part of repetition, getting mm-hmm. up and doing these sets over and over again, and you remember everything and build on it and build on it. And if you're not retaining that information, right, so... So uh, I'm 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 really laying off the sauce, and I was actually kind of <laughs> I was excited to to hear that uh, that we were going to do this uh, show on the day of 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 of, of my uh, I'm doing two shows tonight at the Mothership, right. the Fat Man, and I was kind of excited because I knew I wasn't going to drink on this show. So you was, knew you weren't going to repeat. Yeah, I knew I was not. I was going. I'm not going to do what I did last time, and so I kind of came. I'm not in, trying to encourage you to drink, yeah, but I no, am I trying to encourage you that if you do yeah. wind up drinking too much and you feel hungover, you don't have to just tolerate that. No, I like that too. Yeah, get get an IV drip. <laughs> an IV drip, huh? Yeah, if you're in town, I'll connect you to the lady that does. That us. just seems like such an extreme. It's like you know you're drinking too Chappelle. much. You know you're drinking too much when you're like got a <laughs> you're or in a hospital bed with an IV drip. You know you're being smart about your partying. Yeah, yeah, Either yeah. Or you're not in a hospital bed. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. just sitting down. It takes twenty minutes. The reason there. I told you about uh, the reason why I, I wanted to come down here sooner and just kind of come check out and hang at the club. You know, not uh, I was I was super stoked that I'm actually getting to headline the club this weekend. That was even more than I was expecting. I was just wanted to come down and see you and, and congratulate you on the club. And, and the reason it's taken me so long is I had a fucked up thing that happened uh, after I moved to the farm. Uh, basically, 
immediately after I moved to the farm and everything was going great, uh, I was uh, I had a major injury that I told you about. Yeah. I didn't get into too much detail about it, but I had a major injury in Costa Rica. Uh, I would I, I went down there for a vacation, and uh, there was this you know a big bonfire on the beach, and everyone was having fun. I went to bed in the hotel. Um, I wake up. I decide to go back to the bonfire a few hours later. It's like two in the morning at this point. The fire has gotten a lot smaller. I pick up a piece of driftwood off this beach in this remote beach, right? I go up to throw the driftwood on the fire. And the reason the fire had gotten smaller is the people that had been at the fire put out the fire by burying it in sand. And they buried this huge bonfire that was about the size of this room in sand. And so now there was just a little fire with sand covering hot coals about four feet leading up to it. And I'm walking up to the thing, you know, barefoot. Oh. Right in 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 you know in in a you know in a bathing suit and a t-shirt, with a piece of driftwood, and my foot goes into the sand, into these hot coals. Immediate realization, uh, I fall back. Uh, so if I'd fallen forward, I mean my face would be burnt. I I I, I ended up uh, immediately realizing what had happened. Uh, third degree burns on both feet. The top and bottom of my right foot and the strangely the top of my left foot not the bottom thankfully um and uh the nerves were completely burned off my feet so after the initial shock of it i uh wasn't in pain which was the weirdest thing and i looked down and there's a couple people came to my sort of assistance and were putting water on it not feeling anything you know I'll get graphic because it's crazy, but the skin is just falling off my feet. Oh, my God. Uh, I get help back to my room. Uh, I'm not wanting this to be, you know, it's the first day I got there. I'm like, oh, this really ruined my vacation, you know. I'm, I'm not feeling pain because the burns, the nerves are gone. So I'm literally like trying to clean it up with like some nail clippers, chopping oh the little God. bits of burnt flesh off. And Do you have photos? I do, yeah. Of this? Yeah. Like when it looked like that? Not online. I so No, on your phone. I have not... Even, I, <laughs> I, I, I never, need to see. I need to see. I haven't. That e sounds insane. I haven't even um, talked about it online. I didn't. This is first I've talked about it online. Yeah, I never knew that you were I injured. Didn't, I didn't want to talk about it. I just didn't. I. It was crazy. I I ended up spending two weeks in the hospital in Costa Rica, and then was medevaced on an air ambulance. With Charlie. Whoa, Charlie, Hi, you Charlie. were there for the whole ride? Yeah, with Charlie, yeah. And, um, Did the nurses take Charlie to go potty? So I had some friends who came down, who were coming down anyways, and they, they took Charlie. Oh, Charlie. They, they looked after Charlie for two weeks while I, so I got, I got driven to the San Jose hospital. Hi, Charlie. What's up? And, and she was, she was worried. She's adorable, man. Yeah. She's such a sweet dog. Yeah. And that, I know the people that are seeing her out now, like, oh, she's kind of freaked out. But normally she's not freaked out at all. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's super sweet. She runs up to everybody and wagging her tail. And yeah. Super friendly. It's last. Yeah, so anyways, I got, got to this hospital. The, 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 there's a surgeon from Columbia who worked there. It's a great hospital, thankfully. Came out. He said, looked at my foot, said, we're taking you in immediately into surgery. Oh, my God. And they did skin grafts off my leg. And they took skin grafts, like the size of a football off my right leg and stapled 60 staples 
to staple the skin into my foot. And uh, then I come up out of surgery, and the doctor says to me, uh, which I think he was trying to make me feel better, but he said, well, the good news is you'll probably be able to live a normal life. He says to me, it's the first thing he says to me. Oh, my God. And I'm, you know, I can't move. I had uh, morphine going into my back. Uh, couldn't feel anything below my waist. I thought I was paralyzed. They told me I would be, wouldn't be able to feel anything below my waist while, this, while I came out of it. And then I'd spend two weeks in a hospital bed, and uh, I was not able to get out of the hospital bed for two weeks. Um, this is debatably too much information, but it's interesting. You get... You get very constipated from all the medicine that's going into you, and you end up not being able to, you know, go to the bathroom for about a week, but then you ultimately have to go, and you can't get out of bed because your foot has to remain elevated. Oh, boy. So, so this you is where drop you drop a log in a bucket. You got to drop a log in a diaper. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and then so, someone's got to clean your butt? So, and then these Costa Rican nurses come in oh boy. and clean your butt. Oh, And it Lord. was just a really interesting... Uh, oh, moment of uh, clarity for me, where you realize you're humbled as a human being, and you realize, oh, this is this is I've lost all ability to look after myself, and you just kind of end up having to just kind of go with it. And it was, uh, you know, to my honest with, you, I still think about that sometimes. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, you know, the 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 uh, they were uh, very nice. The nurses well, were very nice. It's very sweet of them to take yeah. care of you like and, that. And, and so you can't put any weight on your foot because the bottom of your foot is that skin graft as well, or just the top. Uh, for 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 the so then for the next uh, yeah exactly, and it was very delicate the skin graft for the first. No, uh, was the bottom skin grafted as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it's all around, very, very. Um, the bottom of your foot, like mm -hmm. the sole of your foot, was skin grafted. Mm -hmm. That's crazy because I would think like, how do they skin graft that? Right? So, Does your footprint come back in so, the same way? The ridges, the mm -hmm. dermal ridges? And yeah, everything? but it's not perfect, though. It's interesting. The It was a World War II doctor who invented the way of taking these skin grafts, actually. They did it for burn victims in, in, in the war, and they invented a, some really, I don't know the word for it, but some tool that actually takes a micro-thin layer of skin uh, so micro, I don't really have a scar on my leg anymore. It's oh, very, wow. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a very, it's almost like a less than paper thin layers of skin. They take them off of strips like this and then they staple it into your foot to hold it on there. And, um, and then uh, that's left on there for about, I, I think it was just about two weeks actually. And then at the end of the two weeks in Costa Rica, they removed, I had to go under three general anesthetic surgeries in Costa Rica in a Central American hospital by myself. By the way, I, uh, I, uh, my mom and was you know, wanted to fly down. My dad wanted to fly down. I was like, no, it's, you know what? I'm just sitting here, like, you know, half out of it, you know. So just I'll just so I just spent two weeks in there, and they'd go. Uh, there was a, a second surgery where they go in and they uh, checked it. They had to go in and check it, and so I had to go under general just to like take the bandages off because it's painful. And then the third general one was to go in and take the staples out. And um, and then uh, medevac back to Toronto to Sunnybrook Burn Center, Sunnybrook Hospital Burn Center, where I spent another 10 days. And then for the next essentially six months, Joe, I, was, I would have to go to a doctor uh, three times a week to have my bandages changed because it's like, you know, oozing. And for six months? Yeah. Yeah, it was about three times a week for the first two months, and then it was like twice a week, and then it was once a week. And uh, and they're 
also monitoring it for infection, right? Because if you get an infection, uh, then they have to amputate your foot. So it was basically six months of me just worried about losing my foot. You know, you're saying, am I going to have, am I going to have like one testicle and one foot? Is this what's going on with me? So, so they didn't, uh, they didn't have to amputate my foot, fortunately. Uh, but it was pretty, pretty, pretty scary shit. Holy um, shit, dude. And, uh, Anyways, uh, and then, you know, and then it was kind of like limping for the next year, and then now I'm kind of still a little wobbly, but it's, 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 it's pretty good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just going to—I actually found some photos of this and, and pulled them up because I thought you might ask when I told you about this. Of course. Now, the thing about this is what's crazy is this is like—this is actually—this is like actually when it had healed. So, I mean, that's— that that's after it healed. This this is this is months, months. This is maybe two months after uh, I was back in Canada. At this point, wow. I have some better ones. Sir. <laughs> um, you know, here's that's uh, horrible. Here's that's let's see. Here's you know, this, this is sort of healing up, healing up. This that's my mom, my mom at the thing, wow. healing up at the hospital. But uh, yeah, it's uh, damn son, you got fucked up. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's uh. You know, it could have been worse, right? It could have been worse, so. Yeah. You're could've alive. Been, you're here. Could have been worse. And you get this, you get this sense of uh, almost, it's almost like a sense of gratitude you get afterwards because you're like, I'm alive. I'm here. I still got my foot. And it's, it's so strange how that happens because it's happened to me twice now in my life because I had testicular cancer when I was, when I was on MTV and I, that's why I stopped the show and I'd go to the hospital. They'd room, I took my right testicle. I still got the left one. Everything's fine. Um, but, uh, and you go, you go from, there's this, there's this moment where you're like, in both occasions, there's this moment where you're sort of traumatized by what's happening and angry about it. And then it sort of almost instantly flips. It must be some sort of human self-preservation kind of thing that's built into our way our minds work, where you're now grateful that it's not worse. You know, like, you know, oh, it's healing. I still have my foot. This is a learning experience. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that again. Do you think I'm, that's wired into people? I think the opposite. I, I think know. that's a learned skill. I think Maybe. that's something that you, you recognize as an intelligent person. Like, you know what? I'm, I should be thankful for what I have all the time. And we all yeah. should. It's really hard to be. You get so accustomed to the way your life is mm -hmm. that you, mm -hmm. you can't imagine if yeah. you were, like, severely impaired or something horrible happened. It's like after I had cancer, it, it, sometimes it comes into my mind like a, like a little bit of a light bulb or a, or a wave. Like I'll think to myself, you know, if I'm having a... A slightly bad day, you know what I mean? And I'll you know, be like, like ha I don't for whatever reason it happens, just sometimes when I'm out doing normal errands and I'm having a slightly bad day, I'm going to the gas station pumping gas or something, and then I think to myself, oh man, at least I'm not in the hospital right now yeah. dealing with some crazy, you know, existential life and death thing, you know? And so, yeah, maybe it is a learned thing because of, of what I've been through with that because the same thing happened after I burned my foot. You know, as soon as it's sort of – as soon as I'm – you're quickly sort of – you go from I can't believe this has happened. I'm angry. I just ruined my vacation. I might lose my foot. This is horrible too. Okay, how are we going to – get better how are we going to make sure that i do everything to change the bandages on time and your your whole your whole life changes right you know i'm not i'm not thinking about all the 
things that I'm normally stressed about, whether it's work or relationships or whatever, things that are just normal standard things that you're pissed off about. And all of a sudden you're just, compl- oh, not even thinking about that anymore. I'm just thinking about making sure I don't get an infection on my foot. And you're sort of treating it like a military operation, trying to save your foot or trying to, you know, make sure that you, you know, make the right choices in your cancer treatment. And, um, and then when you come out of it, this is true, it's possibly a learned thing. You come out of it and you realize, oh, all that shit that I'm nor- normally worried about doesn't matter compared to what what I just went through. And then you can kind of maybe learn from that. And, you know, then you, as time passes, you slip back into the same routine. You start stressing out about the same things again. But then every once in a while, it pops into your head and go, well, at least I'm not dealing with the foot's healed and I'm, yeah. I'm outside right now and everything's good. I'm walking, I'm talking, I'm alive. So gratitude. Gratitude. Mm-hmm. It's also people need to experience a certain amount of discomfort in order to appreciate not having that. It's just the way we're wired for whatever reason. I choose voluntary discomfort. I do shit like cold plunges and saunas mm-hmm. and hard workouts, mm-hmm. and I think it's a viable strategy. I think mm-hmm. it really works. I think if you can force yourself to do difficult things, like a difficult workout, a difficult yoga class, cold plunges, saunas, that kind of shit, your regular life will be less stressful. Yeah, You'll be, you'll be able to deal with these were seemingly high stress situations they will seem less stressful because you're doing voluntary stress all the time yeah and you prepare yourself for difficult things when you don't prepare yourself for difficult things you can get caught up in like just traffic being something that blows your mind you can't handle anymore exactly yeah yeah i i see you doing those cold plunges and I haven't done that yet, but people do that in lakes and stuff. Yeah, it's me. awesome. I want to do that. Get a sauna. Put it right by your lake. Yeah, I, I, I want to do that. I want to get a sauna. But lake's cold as fuck in the winter, huh? Yeah, I was playing hockey on it a few weeks ago. Ooh. Yeah, just out there shooting some pucks in the net and, uh, and uh, you know, so I can play. I can skate again. I did The first year I didn't skate. You get know. yourself one of them little wood-powered saunas. Yeah. You could use it with firewood mm. yeah, so you don't yeah. have to have anything electricity rigged up out there. Yeah, yeah. They make a bunch of those. Yeah, you can get Throw them some there. wood in there. Mm-hmm. Get that bitch hot as fuck. Mm-hmm. Get a chainsaw, mm-hmm. cut yeah. a hole in the ice. Yeah, I've make been, sure you don't drown. I am going to do that because it's uh, it's. Um, I'm not sure how. I mean, I haven't done a cold plunge. I can tell you that I do like the cold. Like we sort of touched on that earlier. Like when you just go outside into. Like sometimes it's Canadians complain about the cold who live in the city, but when you live in the country, it's different. The city winter sucks because like they put salt on the roads and you're basically running from your house to your car. But in the country, when there's, you go outside and nature and you walk into the woods, there's no bugs, there's no mud, everything's frozen. You can go places you can't go in the summer, in the winter. You can walk across lakes. You can Mm. walk like across huge lakes to islands that are over there with warm, you know, Baffin Canada Goose jacket on. Walking across lakes that I don't uh, like. Oh yeah, it's, it's I don't oh, like yeah, it. It's 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 sort of like I I, I kind of was thinking to myself I was going to say you know it's sort of like a cold plunge except it's just you just go outside as a cold plunge sometimes yeah. you know it's like you do get a dopamine rush right 100%. just from being outside so you know you you can like I've actually noticed that in warmer climates sometimes I'm a bit more lethargic you know but when the winter comes it's like okay go outside it's yeah. like you know, you, you feel it, mm-hmm. you feel that, you know, it's just... Uh, well, Letterman used to always have a studio really cold. Yeah. He didn't want people to be warm right, and right. sleepy. Yeah, yeah. A little cold, a little... Ah, keeps the comedy fresh. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's something about walking across a lake that mm-hmm. is just like 
At any moment now, this could just break. Oh, no, no. Well, because you know. I know you can't. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Look, yeah. I went ice fishing last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Now, people make mistakes all the time. They go, oh, they yeah. wait too long, and it's a spring, and they drive their truck out on it, and it goes <laughs> through the ice. And, but uh, yeah. if you're, you know, if you're properly advised by people that know what they're doing, don't, yeah. you know, like, like the people, you know, that... Some of my friends out there do a lot of ice fishing. You know, they tell you, okay. The other thing you can do is, like when I was playing hockey on the lake this year, you just just stay close to the shore. So you go, okay, well, if I fall through, it's only two feet deep or three feet deep here. So, you know, you won't actually be sucked away under the under the, under the the ice. But walking across in the middle, yeah, you have a little bit more dangerous out in the middle there. But I'm sure you've seen the video of the Russian woman who jumps into the river. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so horrible. Oh, my gosh, yeah. They cut a yeah. hole in the ice, and she doesn't realize it's a raging river uh-huh. underneath it, and uh-huh. she just gets sucked under. And I heard that just happened recently in the States, too. A, a woman's uh, dog or something went in, and oh. she dove in after Oh, God. God damn it. Yeah, the uh, that's fucking terrifying. The idea of being trapped under the ice. Like, There's another one of a guy who's trying to. They cut two holes and they try to swim from one to the other, and the ice is clear. And you see him under there. And you he see him. You see him holes. get disoriented, and oh. then you see him trying to find his way back to the other hole. Oh. And, and then he does eventually find his way, but oh there's this sort of moment God. of panic where his friends are up on top oh. and they're they're banging on the ice and they're trying to say, no, no, this way, this oh. way. You can see him. You can see his body panicking. You know, you can see him like sort of feeling. And And when you panic, you lose oxygen. You know, your body, your heart rate goes up. It's like not good. Not easy to keep. There's the guy. There it is right there. I don't want to see this, man. Uh. I don't want to see this. Stop it, Jamie. (laughs) I remember the first time I saw the concept of of falling through the ice in, in the winter was that. Remember that movie, Never Cry Wolf? You ever seen that movie? That was a good movie. Look at this. Yeah, and this is I, this is real. Does they're, they're trying to say this way, this way, and then he goes back all the way back. He goes all the way. B- yeah. Oh, the music even makes it. Yeah. What is he doing? Yeah, he, he, they had a rope. He found the rope. Is he gonna make it? Yeah, yeah, yeah he ends up making it. But yeah, there you go. So I think you want a cold plunge. In the lake, closer to shore. Bro, fuck what that is. Whatever yeah. that is, fuck <laughs> what that is. <laughs> Jesus He was so close Christ. to the hole, too. When he... Yeah, he was like a foot away from the hole. Yeah. And he couldn't tell. That's, That's nuts, man. It was a, you ever see that movie Never Cry Wolf from the 80s? It was about a guy that goes up in the Arctic to study wolves, and then he ends up you know, befriending them. And Brian Dennehy's plays the evil trapper, and it was a... Oh, one of them movies. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a great movie. It was based on this... Canadian novel, Farley Mowat novel called Never Cry, Never Cry Wolf. Yeah, did the wolves really make friends with him in real life? So he goes up in the to- the novel, right? go- It's a novel? It's a true story. He goes up to, st- about a scientist who goes up to study these wolves. And, uh, you know, it's just sort of man versus nature kind of story. We end up becoming a Disney movie. But, mm. uh, you know, uh, he ends up, you know, running out of food, his food, uh, gets dr- dropped off in the wrong place or something like that. So he ends up sort of seeing the wolves eating mice. So then he ends up, you know, the big scene, the big mm. probably inspired some of my work later in life. He starts eating mice off crackers and stuff like that. And it was a big, oh, gross out. So he needs the mice off the crackers. But but then he ends up falling through the ice at one point, walking across a lake. And there's a, a scene like that. And it's one of those, you know, back in the... 80s pre-CGI movies where you're just sort of remember you had to come up with actual scenes where something relatable and shocking happens that you can actually really like grips you, you know? Yeah. 
then Brian Dennehy shows up and, well, you know, he's, he kills the, the wolves. Kills the wolves, and it's very sad, and that's the end of the movie. So you don't have to watch it anymore. Well, at one point in time, <laughs> people did have to have become friends with wolves because that's where dogs came from. Mm -hmm. So when wolves came around the campfires, mm -hmm. there must have been some curious wolves and there must have been some generous hunters who threw them a bone or mm -hmm. threw them some meat. And that's how dogs got made. The the, the bitch-ass wolves are like, oh, I'm just, I'm happy to be your friend. Yeah. I don't really want to yeah. hunt deer yeah, anymore. Yeah, why not? They're cooking some yeah. nice, uh, you know, and it made mam woolly mammoth steaks here. I think that smells better than the, yeah. the leaves we're eating. Yeah, smells incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know? Especially with a wolf nose. Imagine how good up. Oh, my God. So we made friends with them, and that's that's where dogs, that's where Charlie comes from. Charlie comes from a wolf. Yeah. I, I was, uh, yeah, I've, I've watched some of your episodes where you talk about wolves because I'm really finding myself interested in it because this is, I hear them at night. What's up, Charlie? Like at night, like not every night, but. What's up, Charlie? I, you hear them howling and she goes crazy. So oh, in I'm the sure. house at night you hear them. Because they'll eat her. And so, so we'll, she'll hear them bef you know, from in the house at night. I don't hear them, but all of a sudden she, this happens, you know, three times a week. She starts running around the house, barking, mm. barking, barking, and then I, and then we go out in the porch and you hear them howling in the distance. And and so they just so this summer, and I know this happened to you. Uh, uh, I, I had I had chickens. I got chickens. I got chickens in uh, in, in June as well. I had six chickens, and uh, you know, eggs. You know, I'm getting eggs from my chickens, and I, I'm eating a lot of eggs now. Eating a lot of eggs, and. Um, and they free range, right? So it's not fenced in, right? But the the woods are sort of there's a pond, and their woods are on the other side of the pond, and it's kind of a pasture on one side. So you know, debatably, the wolves and the coyotes don't come right up to near the barns where the chickens are, right? So so I let them free range. So in the morning, I get up and I let the chickens out, and then they spend the day walking around on the lawn and the grass, and then sort of a more uh, you know closer to the house area. And um, this was great. All summer, it was great. I named them. You know, it was, it was like, uh, Loretta, Patsy, Shania, Dolly, June, and Anne. They're my girls, you know. Gave them all female country singer names. And then they were, I bonded with them in a way. Like they're kind of, kind of sweet, you know. I actually would take, sometimes I'd bring one in the house and would like, you know, hang out with it and play piano with it. And it was like, you know, it was, I mean, this is getting weird, but it was, you could tell it, it was interested in the music. Like there's an intelligence there that's, you know, I mean, I know chickens aren't known for being the most intelligent thing in the world, but you would see their wheels turning, listening to the music. I kind of become attached to these chickens, you know? And then, uh, yeah, uh, so I get a bit more comfortable with having them free range. They free ranged all summer and they're great because they're eating all the bugs and they're getting all the, you know, insects and stuff on the property and around the house. And uh, so I, I, I drive into town one day, okay? So I'm gone for two hours, okay? And I come back and uh, I'm coming up the driveway and it's just uh, feathers, 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 feathers. And uh, there was one survivor, Loretta survived. Uh, she was sort of, funnily enough, there was one chicken that didn't hang out with other chickens all the time. And this one, Loretta, I named her Loretta. And uh, she was probably just somewhere else. But the five just got got uh, got killed by the coyotes. And I saw them on my on my security cameras. Oof. Came right up to the house. And, and so the thing is, is like, you realize, and I realize this even more after talking to the wolf expert, they were watching the house from the woods and they saw me leave. 
And they knew that there was nobody there. And they chose their moment, the wolves, or the I think it might have been coyotes that, that, that did the chickens. They like waited, like they waited for me. They knew, they knew my truck. They knew uh, there was nobody there. And they said, you know, well, one good thing to do if you leave, you know, is to play, ra- play talk radio. You know, maybe they'll hear that. Um, but uh, so they were watching and they, they came and they got five of them all at once. And it was, the chickens were gone. There was just feathers everywhere. Like, like, even like, it almost looked like a bomb had hit the chicken. It was like just a big circle yeah. of feathers and there's five circles of feathers. It's weird to come upon, right? And so then I have this one chicken left, and this is actually kind of sad too. Um, it's funny, like I literally cried, <laughs> and then my because I was like so upset. And then and then and then my neighbors, you know, who were farmers, you know, or buddies of mine, you know, came over and they were like, "Oh, look at the chicken feathers everywhere!" And I so you know, it's like, you know, is this normal for me to be crying about this? And uh, you know, I said, "Do farmers cry?" And they go, "Not over their dead chickens," you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm like I'm like a city guy here crying over my dead chickens, but um, but uh, so then yeah, so then I got two more chickens to keep Loretta company, and this is kind of breaking news as of yesterday. Uh, these two new chickens came and they hung out with Loretta for the next since I don't know August, and then uh, well this is a downer, but uh, yesterday I got a call and the two chickens uh, killed the killed Loretta. The the ones the one that was from the different flock, you know. Really? They pecked her to death last night or two nights ago in the middle of the night. So Oh Jesus. Yeah, that's Christ. a downer. But anyway, so now you're like, okay, so, so that's now you sucks. got these two cunt So now I got these two chickens. fucking murderer chickens and I'm planning to get more chickens in the spring, so I'm gonna get rid of the two chickens. Yeah, you have to start from scratch. Start with from chicks. scratch because I can't keep these new chickens around. They're so. fucking murderers. Yeah. That's mur- crazy. Yeah, and, and, and they're like, Hi, I'm your friend. Like, it, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah. You killed my other friend. And they exactly. And they were friends for the well, they, they were all together for the last You know what you're supposed to do. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Put it's them in not, the oven. Yeah. It's not like I'm going to re- them. rehome them. Yeah, hey, would you like these two murderers? Yeah. Don't you don't want to rehabilitate them either? Just want... yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, you let, uh, put them on the grill. Yeah. I was <laughs> I was told you hang them upside down. Just hold them upside down for a while, and they kind of black out, and then you can. Uh, don't you want to get revenge for Loretta? It's 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 a strange. Well, you know what? Here's a, here's an interesting thing about revenge because I've been thinking about revenge. revenge. Well, I was I was thinking about revenge. With the coyotes, right? yeah. So and so, here's the thing that's a very sort of odd thing is you know, I I love the coyotes. I love the wolves. Like I love them. Like I love hearing them at night, and yeah. I love seeing them. And I photographed them. I've I've had a I've had many moments where I've been engaged in a standoff with them. Just, just, I filmed it, mm-hmm. and um, and so I kind of was really mad for a minute, and then I thought, well, you know what, I I. I I think I like the coyotes more than the chickens, to be honest with you. So I'm just going to kind of figure out a way to kind of, you know, control the situation. But also, you know, watching your show with, I forget who it was, but it was an expert in this area and talking to people. Apparently, like, if you you try to, again, this is all theory, but apparently if you try to completely control the population of coyotes it by just makes more coyotes. It just makes more coyotes. Yeah, it's Dan Flores. Yeah. yeah he yeah. wrote a book called Coyote America. That's right. He he was one talking about that. Where the, the coyote actually um the female coyote has more pups. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So that's but that was what I was talking about earlier where they were prosecuted by the or persecuted by the gray wolves. Because gray wolves and coyotes don't mix. 
Mm-hmm. So when the the gray wolves would kill the coyotes, the coyotes would expand their range, mm-hmm. and then they would repopulate new areas where the gray wolves weren't. Mm-hmm. And the way they would find out how many coyotes are around, they do they call out to each other. That's like right. Okay. It was on the show that I heard that. And when yeah. someone is not responding, yeah. the female starts to panic and have more pups. Yeah, no, I mean, it's pretty wild. And that's why they spread all across. Uh, they're in the whole country. Yeah, yeah, they're in every city in the United States of America. They're in the cities now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're everywhere. Every yeah. single state has coyotes. Yeah. It's pretty nuts. But yeah. I love them, too. I think they're awesome. I definitely wanted to kill them after they killed my chickens. Yeah. But that's also, it's like, I'm not in the country either, bitch. I'm in a fucking suburb. Yeah, Like, yeah. this is ridiculous. Right, yeah, you don't want- with little small wolves in the suburbs. Yeah. You know, but they're everywhere in L.A. Mm-hmm. Coyotes mm-hmm. are downtown. They're everywhere. They're all over the place in Los Angeles. They're yeah. just little wolves. Yeah, I, I, uh- I remember they used to come up uh, to my place, that place in in L.A. That was uh, that we did the web show. The coyotes mm-hmm. were a lot of coyotes around. I saw a bobcat on that street once. Those are cool. And uh, those are cool to see, right? Yeah, I was pretty stupid actually when I was uh, there because I, I, I first saw the coyotes and I had this idea. Oh, I like the coyotes, and I would when I go grocery shopping, I'd buy some chicken gizzards and I'd throw them on the hillside. Oh no! And then they really started coming around, so I stopped doing that. Yeah, <laughs> duh. You can't feed coyotes. I'm sure a lot of people in Hollywood do, though. I'm yeah. sure they feed feed deer. I'm sure they feed coyotes. Yeah, yeah. I know people in my neighborhood feed deer. Yeah. People love having deer around. Yeah, yeah. I know a guy who's got a, not in my neighborhood, but he's got a, like 20 pieces of, uh, 20 acres of land, and he's got uh, at least two feeders. Right. So, like, at every day at 5 p.m., he can look out his window and see deer because yeah. they're there to get fed. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. You you uh, been hunting lately or? Not lately. Yeah. No. Planning on going out again or come to Canada? Come hunt in Canada. I've been there before. I I I I've, I've wanted to. I that your government like seriously worries me. Yeah, you know, come come up. And it really does. Run it for prime minister. Let's change. Run for prime come minister. up. Run for prime minister. That Pierre... yeah, you can do it. You can do it. It'd be amazing. It would be amazing. How do you say his name again? Paul Polyev. Polyev. Yeah. Polyev. Pierre Polyev. Sorry, Pierre. But uh, no, the people, the people would love to have you up there. Uh, you know, uh, not everybody, but but a lot of people would love to have you up there. You There's know what it's like. Some people with blue hair up there that don't want nothing to do with me. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, I think <laughs> I want you to know that you are loved by so many up there, and, oh, and it's and it's people I love that, Canadians. Yeah, and, They're uh, awesome. I've always said and, Canada has twenty percent less douchebags. Yeah, than it's, it's 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 a, it's just very similar to to what it's like here with the division. It's the same division, well, same issues, same you have bullshit. To stop it! It's yeah. it's not just the same divisions and the same bullshit. That's mm-hmm. true too, but that's mm-hmm. also a ploy that's being used to separate ourselves while they enact more control, and mm-hmm. that's what's scary. Mm-hmm. That's what's scary. It's like the underlying mechanism. Like what's 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 actually happening behind the scenes? Well, they're trying to clamp down and control the population. That's mm-hmm. that's scary. They're cha- yeah. trying to clamp down and control the information the population gets. That's fucking scary. Yeah, yeah. As of because that doesn't ever come back. Yeah. Once they get that power, they don't give it back to the people. Yeah. It never happens. So you got to fight to stop that from happening. Yeah. You can't let them decide what you can and can't do because they're just people. I mean, there would be outrage in Canada if your show got banned, if got can- got got blocked, because people, everybody watches your show. Like, I mean, it's just it's like here, everybody watches your show, everybody loves your show. There would be outrage. It would be uh, political. It, could, it would be political suicide. It for, could for happen some- though. It could happen, especially if there's some new COVID type thing happens. And I have contrary experts on. I have people on that are are like Robert Malone, the guy that they 
maligned and said it was a conspiracy theorist and that, that he was a you know wasn't a qualified expert to talk about the subject even though he's vaccine injured himself even though he owns nine patents on the creation of mrna vaccine technology yeah. i mean he's a legitimate scientist that worked on that technology i think the canadian public values freedom of 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 expression and speech right as but much the canadian as... government doesn't that's the problem it it's it's again. It's they haven't passed that law, and uh, and uh, but, but the thing is, if they do, if they yeah. try to, and there there's calls to do it right now in America. Yeah, yeah. there's also calls to do it from the World Health Organization to yeah, yeah. to try to put a kibosh on any information that doesn't jive with what they're saying in the case of another situation, another pandemic, or another. I mean, Google released that thing where they were saying that. They had some new regulations that would be put in place in cases of a special event mm -hmm. or, you know, anything of extreme social or political, like some thing where they're going to be able to stop, air quotes, misinformation. That's fucking terrifying because oftentimes that information turns out to be correct. I and loved your approach to it and your, your stand-up, your new stand-up. It's hilarious. I won't Thanks. say it, obviously, but it's just it's, it's hilarious. Thank because you. Because uh, you know it's it's very self-reflective too, and I just thought it was just amazing because you're you know you're kind of I won't say it I don't want to say it because obviously you got a sh your show coming up Thank but you. but uh, but I thought it was uh, even people that you know may think they disagree with you on some subjects probably are going to really find it quite pointed uh, the way the way you address the issue in your stand-up set I thought it was awesome it was hilarious yeah Thank you yeah thanks amazing Well it's obviously something on everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. It's just we're in a weird pivotal moment where technology and our awareness of corruption is all meeting in this battleground in the middle of the fucking field like Braveheart. Like, Rah! that's what's scary. What's scary is these two things are colliding and I don't know which one's going to win because we could turn into a dictatorship. We could. We could turn into something that's closer to a dictatorship and then something that's closer still and continue to go down that line, especially if there's some need to clamp down on society because something happened, whether it's a solar flare or whether it's a terrorist attack or whether it's just flat-out war. It's all that we need. All they need is some reason why they need to completely clamp down on your ability to express yourself, platform's ability to distribute information that's contrary to what they're saying, any of those things, anything that they can do to stop that, to, to, like, to, to put a, a clamp down on people like disrupting the narrative that they're trying to distribute. It's, 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 it's wild that COVID was essentially one of the catalysts that got me to leave the city. And, uh, you know, it started with the van. I got the van and I'm out in the remote desert and I'm loving it out there. And I, I was, you know, I was my bug out van. I mean, I, I had, right. I had, I had probably, probably could have survived in that van with the solar power battery system and my food. I had freeze dried, you know, meals ready to eat, you know, camping food, boil water and pour it in the bag and oh, mm -hmm. it's lasagna. This is amazing. You know, I could have probably spent, you know, months out there without even having to, to go anywhere, you know, and you start to go, hey, this is kind of cool. You know, like I'm self-sufficient out here. I'm not, you know, you know, I've got 26 gallon You didn't get water. lonely? Well, I would, I would, I would, I would drive out for to a cool place for three or four days, and then I go to another location, and then. Uh, so you'd go and hang with people? No, I, I wasn't. I was just doing this sort of 
isolation. I was COVID. doing this. Vi- I was really actually kind of getting into uh, videography again. I was. I got some. Cam- I got a. At the, I shot this video on Sony A7S III, but I've started getting back into cameras. Right, but you weren't around any people. Well, I was when you went to cool places. Did you go hang around people? No, no, I was just alone. Yeah, and and okay. and, and I was making these. It was just Charlie and I. We made this sort of you know. How film. long did you go without being around any people? Well, because then I would go. Because uh, when you came here, the last mm-hmm, time you did the yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I had the distinct impression of a man who just got rescued from an island. <laughs> yeah. It was Tom yeah, Hanks. Yeah. You had the fucking volleyball. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you seemed, it was like that, yeah. You seem a little manic. It was, it was somewhat of a creative experiment as mixed with real paranoia as well. Because I do sort of, I, I think sometimes, like, like I said, you know, I got testicular cancer. How the fuck did that happen to me? So I'm just like, okay, right. this is everything bad. If this is happening, it's going to be bad. So it's going to be bad to me. So I'm just going to. And then, so how long did you go without being in contact with any other people? Well, so I was still had my house in L.A. So I hadn't sold my house yet. So I had this van. So I would drive out in the desert for a couple of weeks and basically go on a camping trip. And then I'd go back home. And then um, were you around people when you were back home? So it was still that. Um, People would come over. We'd hang out outside. It was that kind of whole thing for the first few weeks or whatever, months, couple, however many. Uh-huh. Was it members a couple of months? Would you, you like know? cover your mouth and then you'd all uh, run outside, hold uh, your breath? Yeah, kind of. We'd just hang outside for a couple months, go to the dog park and see people there and stuff like that. Mm. It was that, you know, that initial stage where, because, you know, you weren't in L.A. then, no. So it was wild. When I was the, in L.A. Were you in L.A. at the beginning of COVID? You were, yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, the I first. Moved oh, that's COVID. right. Because I did. I came on your show in L.A. when it was yeah. at the beginning of COVID. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And the second time I came on your show uh, was here. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That was because like, remember how they were like you're you're avoiding the question. Remember how there were military helicopters going yeah. over. You're like avoiding in, my question. In, in, how long did you go without <laughs> being around people? Uh, maybe a couple of months or something like that. You know. How many months? Like, well, couples two. A few is three or more. Uh, uh, maybe it was three. Yeah. You sure it wasn't more? Uh, well, then I started doing the van thing, so there was nobody where I was going anyway, so I had an excuse, you know? Right. I was on a camping But still trip. being with no people. How long were you with no people then? Yeah, I mean, it was a few months for sure. I'm not, I mean, it but wasn't- But all told, how many months do you think you spent of that year without being around people? Well, first of all, one thing that's interesting about it is I happened to, to be single Are at the time. Are you a lawyer? The way you're answering these questions are like a goddamn lawyer. Well, it's a bit emba- it is a bit embarrassing, I guess, to think that, that I was no, isolated. But I also found it kind of fun. Right, but how long? Like it was, like, like it was about three or four months or something like that. But then um, the van. The you van. You went around people then, too. No, but that that but that that's was isolation too. Yeah, and that but that was that was more like I was enjoying going out into nature by myself and. But you were videos. still by yourself with no people for how but long? But I'd go, you I'd go for a couple of weeks and I'd go back to L.A. and I'd be in L.A. and uh, and you would be around people. I'd recharge a bit. I'd be around people a little bit, and then I'd go back out again, and and then uh, and then as things died down, as they did, you know, I started being around people like everybody else. I and, couldn't imagine going months without being around people. Well, the thing that was weird about it was I, you know. You know, I'm not married. I was single. I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. So, like, I actually... No responsibility. True freedom. That's what made it weird was I didn't, you know, I didn't... I could imagine if I had a girlfriend at the time, we just said, okay, we're going to isolate together. And now you're just with your significant other. Here I was 
okay, I'm going to isolate, and I don't have a significant other at, at the time, so it's like actually the first time where I've ever had this sort of self-imposed uh, or whatever, maybe it was imposed on us, you know, or, or I, took, I, took the, took it, I took it as an opportunity to be by myself and go out and make videos in the desert and go to these really crazy remote places. And I would seek out places where there wasn't going to be other vans and other people. But when you were out in the desert, a lot of times you'd go to somewhere and there'd be other people out in their vans and you'd hang out and have beers with people out in the desert and hang out and then you'd go think of a more remote place and I started discovering some amazing places like that that you know the rabbit hole you go down when you you know COVID aside isolation aside just going out into the American Southwest in a in a in a camper van that's self-sufficient is pretty wild the stuff that's out there I mean I think I probably talked about Chaco Canyon the last time I was here because I think I'd just gone there in New Mexico which is uh, you know Pueblo Native American ruins of a, it's essentially like a, like a stone ruins of a city that was built in the year 875, 875. And it's like Machu Picchu level type, type city that they didn't even discover until the 1950s because it was buried. And now they've, you know, you're, and you're, and it's in this beautiful, it's on the Navajo Nation Reserve, you know, uh, on the, on the Navajo land. And you feel this sort of, I've, I've felt sort of somewhat shocked, I guess, that there's all this stuff out there that you don't really hear talked about constantly. Like I hear about Machu Picchu, somebody brings that up once a week. Nobody's ever brought Who up. Who are you talking to? Brings up Machu Picchu once a week. I don't know. It just comes up a lot. People talk. It was probably you, I think. You know, you talk the pyramids and I stuff. I rarely like, talk about you talk Machu about the Picchu. You know, talk about the pyramids a lot, yeah, right? Yeah, talk about the, the pyramids. Like, Machu Picchu you know, is pretty crazy. Talking about, about, you know, ancient cultures that have built these incredible yeah. structures, right? And right here in New Mexico, just up the road from here, you know, like 11-hour drive from here, right? You know, just outside of Albuquerque. Navajo Nation. There's this. It's a site. You know, it's a huge canyon, completely empty. No one there. Mm. It's uh, and it's uh, and and so it's this realization that there was a civilization there that was, and they've studied this place um, quite extensively. In fact, um, Mike Judge, you know, from Beavis and Butthead. Sure. His father, Mike Judge, grew up in New Mexico. I found this out after the fact, so I started looking up information about Chaco Canyon to try to learn a bit more about it. And his father, uh, James Judge is his name, was one of the pre predominant researchers of this particular archaeological site, right? Oh, wow. And so he wrote this book about it, and it, it and they dived, you know, he spent his life diving into there details. Yeah, That's yeah. so fucking cool. Yeah, so I spent, like, you know, a day there. And there was no one there with you? I was there with Charlie, yeah. and, and Just you and Charlie? Just me and Charlie, and I shot... I shot video. There's this video on my YouTube channel too. I put. I was. I was doing all this for my YouTube channel. I was really getting to the filmmaking side of it. You know, I had my drone. I was going out and filming stuff, in all these. Isn't it crazy? Places. You're just allowed to walk around there. Yeah, it's wild. And and see that part, the bottom left. See that sort of structure there. So that was a five-story building at one point, and wow. you you can go walking through there. And there's wood that they've used as beams that's still like within the within the. It's, petrified wood or whatever it's within the, the stone and uh you know it's wood from the year 875 to 1100 it went like the people left there in 1100 because um 
of a drought. Like they were gone before Columbus, right? See the wood there? That's, that's from eight, you know, between 875 and 1175, whenever that was particularly wow. built. So, and, and this area, they've done all these studies of this area. So they know like, like they found macaw feathers, speaking of my old pal Rex, they found macaw feathers there. Now, macaws are from the furthest north is Yucatan Peninsula, Mexico. So they knew that people were coming from Yucatan Peninsula, Mexico, Peninsula, Mexico, up here to trade with the, with them, and they found um, you know evidence of all these different uh, things that sort of indicated that people were coming from as far north as Canada, as far south as South America, to come to this area, and the, that that uh, that whole Chaco Canyon area. Once you get in there, is like this. I don't know. Not to get all like you know voodoo about it but you know when you talk people talk about Sedona and there's the energy there you feel this sort of and it may be just because it's so beautiful and it's so quiet and it's this natural kind of amphitheater where it's silent and the wind is deadened and you're just all alone and you're walking through this structure I share the fascination that you have for the pyramids I want to go there someday I think it would be if I if I could snap my fingers right now and just be somewhere that it would be the pyramids I'd like to go to the pyramids someday I've never been there so here's me walking through it with my camera and so you're walking through this with, you know by yourself and and That's you're just amazing. going like wow like there was all this stuff going on here and apparently they they've determined this was like a meeting place for for people from all over North America that would kind of come here and share information. They actually believe that there was a, you know, um, sort of almost like a festival type atmosphere that would happen there where people would come and trade and share information and all this stuff. Is there, are there similar Native American construction sites like this? Yeah. So then you go down this rabbit hole and you realize that they're all over the place. So then there's, 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 I mean, there's, there's many of them. There's uh, up in uh, there's these ones called the cliff dwellings, uh, which are that that one there is actually uh, this one here is actually later. That's that's post-Columbian. This one this was a Spanish um, probably I think this one's built around 1500. This was similar a sp- construction. Yeah, style, exactly. Though. It's amazing, right? When you look at it, like oh, they, a, they were building stuff in 800 before Europeans had come here using the same kind of building techniques as, yeah. as that. And and, you, and it's weird when you're there and you're touching it and it's like solid and you're going, wow, mm. that's actually... So they've got these cliff dwellings. There's lots of them where they've built into the, the cliffs of, um, of uh, Colorado. Yeah, those are the cliff dwellings. I went to one of those ones. Wow. There's one There's one that's uh, called the Gila, Gila it's a, or a, a Gila National Forest. It's a, New Mexico. It, yeah, it's right on the... Yeah, it's up in the border. It's up in New Mexico, I think, yeah. And... Uh, that's a wild story there because it's a national park, you know, and, um, wow, look, they have and caves. so you go walk stuff. around there and that one, there are a couple people walking around. They drive down. There's a, you know, people walking Did around. they dig these caves or these caves always exist? Uh, they're natural caves that they've kind of sort of utilized as, uh, as, uh, you know, they built the walls up around the bottom of it. and Yeah, they've done something yeah. to it, right? And so this place is wild. This, this, and the stories you pick up when you go to these places, because then you go down the rabbit hole, you start reading about it, and you go, wow, this is, I never knew about this. They didn't just, they, no uh, American had ever been there until the mid-1800s uh, because it was Apache territory. And if you went there, the Apache, you know, would kill you. 
before 18 whatever it was. I forget the date, but it was like in the 1700s, what early the, 1800s. Look at the writings. Uh, and this place, I haven't been to this place yet, but Holy I want to go shit, here. Man. Yeah. And, and and yeah, I talk about like when you start thinking about you know UFOs and stuff. You just, you look at some of these petroglyphs and you go, what's what's that? There's a lot of petroglyphs out there mm-hmm. too. What's that? That looks kind of like a a spaceship or something, you know. But uh, so that's honestly the real reason I was out there in the van by myself so long was because I got addicted to it. I mean, I was just, and that's actually kind of why I ended up moving. I was like, I love being out here alone by myself with my van and my camera so much. I want to live in the country again. And how'd you find the spot in Canada? Uh, well, spot. I got kind of lucky. I just kind of, I, I, um, I just honestly just started looking on the internet, you know, just like looking at real estate listings. And I started, you know, looking for a farm near my hometown and, and, uh, I just kept looking and searching every day. And, uh, I was, uh, lucky that it just kind of fell on my lap right at the right place, right time. My house sold in LA immediately. And I was, I drove back and that place, I put in an offer and I got it and it's just, it just all worked out and it all worked out. So, and how long you been out there now? Be coming up on three years in July. So it looks like you're having fun. The I'm videos, the videos of you online are very interesting. I'm like, look at Tom Green. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoy- living in the woods by himself. It's like there's a lot to do that is stuff that falls outside of anything that would fall under the you know category of what I would consider to be work, right? But right. it is work, but it's different work. It's like oh, I got to you know, feed the chickens or, or we built a fence this year for the, for the, for the mule and the donkey. So it's this patent rail fence, you know, that uh, is made out of cedar that is literally these hundred year old cedar rail fences that are on the property that have fallen down in the woods and, you know, have gone to by the, not used anymore. And we went back with a fence builder, you know, and, and everybody out there is, you know, you know, in the country is a guy whose family is traditional fence builders whose grandfather built these fences. We went and salvaged all this wood and then built built uh, new fences out of them. And, oh, that's cool. And so you're kind of, you know, it's nice to find uh, something to do that is, A, you're outside, you're getting exercise. Um, and, uh, and you feel like you're actually doing something. You feel like you're doing something. And... And it's the first time I, I said this earlier. I, I, I'm never going to leave this place. Like it's the first time I've ever leave, lived somewhere where I know I'm never going to sell it and, and leave. And so every every step of my life, as like everyone, as you're growing up, you get your first apartment. You know, how long am I going to be here till I move here? Right. How long am I going to be here? So now I'm just kind of like, now I just in my head I have like, oh, I'd like to maybe build a log cabin someday in the on the backwoods. You know, so that's sort yeah. of one thing I'm kind of like kind of thinking about how I want to build a log cabin, like the way the you know the my the house itself that I'm in was built in 1857, and Whoa. it's and it's a a log house. That's so then you can see the. Do you have the, photos of the house? Uh, there's there's yeah there's there, on on my Did YouTube you have channel a video there's a tour of the house. Uh, I haven't really sh- there's there's not a full tour, but I think if you can see some of the logs on the YouTube channel, I I did a a couple little sort of sample podcasts where you can see the wood in the background. That's fucking yeah. dope. This is just this was last you week. Live in a log house from the 1800s yeah. with a wood burning stove behind you. That's amazing. Yeah, and yeah, so it's like and it's it's interesting. So. You know, you start to realize, you know, I'm doomsday prepping in the van, you know, like, oh, I have, I could be self-sufficient in this van. Well, I also, have, you know, and again, it's, it's, it's fun, but it's also kind of very uh, functional. Like I, I have 
unlimited fuel, okay, because there's, there's wood falling in the forest forever, and, and, and I, every summer you can go out and I've got a wood splitter, right, like a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a you know, gas-powered wood splitter, and you, you, know, you chainsaw off the logs, you drop them in, the wood splitter splits them, and it's sort of nice. an efficient way of getting firewood, basically. So they'll never run out of wood out there. The house has actually got propane uh, sort of a furnace as well. So it runs on propane and the propane truck comes every, you know, there's no natural gas or anything running into the house to heat it. So you have a propane truck comes every couple of months and fills up this propane tank in the winter. But, uh, you know, if, oh, shit, you know, shit hits the fan and the propane truck doesn't show up, you know, I can still heat the house fully with wood. There's two wood stoves. Um, Do you have solar? I have solar. Uh, there's a solar system that was there actually that, but it doesn't actually, not actually connected to the house, but it's connected to the grid and it's, it's actually selling energy back to the power company. But not to you? Not to me. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh. What kind of scam is that? Well, it's paying me. It pays me. Yeah, I get it pays paid. you to not be self-sufficient, to not be connected. Well, and if shit hits the fan, I can unhook it and plug it into can the you? lights. Yeah, 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 I could. Yeah, yeah. Do you? And I actually no, I have lots of solar though outside of that system. I have, uh, I have a, uh, actually, you know, the the van has solar panels on the roof, and there's uh, this. That's com- for electronics. It's for electronics, yeah. And you can't really use solar for heat. I've learned all this from the van. So I, I, I work with these guys who've been really cool. Battleborn batteries, they're called, and they are. Uh, make these batteries, lithium batteries, right? They make them for boats. They make them for now off-grid houses. And and, uh, and so I have like a couple of bunkies, you know, like the one I built and one that we kind of mm-hmm. set up. It's like a prefabricated building that we put back in the woods uh, with a wood stove in it. And, uh, you know, this, this uh, trailer that I have solar panels on that butterfly out that I can take anywhere on the property, which has these battleborn batteries in it, it's constantly charging. So I do have some solar and the barn as well. So the barn I have, and these guys helped me set this up. It's really cool. Like it's, uh, I mean, I jokingly say the podcast that I'm going to do in the barn is going to be, I'm sure it isn't, but I'm saying it's the first solar powered barn cast. Okay. Maybe, it maybe, might be. Maybe. I don't know if there's one. But it, but it's like, because there's no, the barn has no power running to it. It's off grid. Uh, but we have, you know, it's, you know, 200 yards from the house. Uh, but we've up in the loft got this battery, lithium battery array, solar panels that charge the batteries. And then up in there, I can run all my cameras, lights, oh, wow. everything. And uh, Don't you, the batteries degrade on those things, on like solar panels? So, so lithium batteries have a really good life to them. Right. Um, um, I've I'm but they sure. eventually degrade. Yeah, right? it might be ten years or something like that. I'm not mm. sure. But it's it's the that's the the lithium batteries is kind of newer tech. Like it's like it's that was the thing that kind of you know when I when when COVID happened, I want I, I want to get a van and go in the desert. So then I I, I you know I I figured out who was making these vans, and. Uh, I, 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 then I found out about the battery systems, and then I was like, "Oh, like you just have a regular, you know, plug in the van. You can plug in your camera and charge your camera batteries. You can run your laptop. You can phone your, your pl- charge your phone indefinitely. Um, and you know, spending 
you know, so many years of my life running around making goofy videos, you know, you, when we were doing the Tom Green show and stuff, you know, you'd go on the road and then you have to go back to the hotel at night to charge your camera batteries, right? right? The idea that you can go into the middle of desert and just film indefinitely and charge your camera batteries because the sun is recharging these batteries constantly. Pretty dope. It was dope. I built a recording studio in the van. Nice. I was making, you know, music and beats out there and just kind of getting into it. But so it's... Uh, How long did it take before you felt comfortable around people again? Uh, I was ready to get around people again pretty, 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 pretty much... Uh, you know, I was, I, was I, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny. After I came on the show last time and we talked about this, <laughs> like there's a general perception in the world all of a sudden that I was living in my van. Okay, which I wasn't actually living. I in might my have van. been responsible for that perception. No, it's hilarious. Like people, like, oh, I heard you're living in a van now. People would say to me, "I'm like, no, I'm not living in a van. I'm going camping and making videos in the desert." No, but you yeah. were living in a van. Yeah, I was. I was. I was you just like, had the ability to live in a very nice house. If you wanted exactly. To. Yeah, I wasn't it's actually. Not like you're a loser. No, it was funny though. <laughs> it was, but but it was. I, I mean, I'd hope. I I, I, I I mean, sometimes you know, you think you are, and you go, oh, "Am I a loser?" But like, people would sort of say it to me. Like they were sad. Like they were sad. Oh, yeah. I heard you're living in a van yeah, now. Yeah, because you could be, yeah, like yeah. most people don't live yeah. in a van on purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was kind of like the Chris Farley sketch. I, right. I'm, I'm living in the van down by the river. And uh, and it was funny how, I mean, again, the power of, uh, of social media and the size of your audience, you know, it permeated out there pretty big that like pretty much... Everybody I meet thinks I'm living in a van down by the river now. So, <laughs> well, that's like how we describe Hans Kim. Hans Kim used to be living in a van. Uh-huh. Like, look at him now. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. no one goes from you know Tom Green to living in a van unless uh-huh. things have gone horribly wrong. Except you, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you did it on purpose. Uh-huh. And it was it was really driven by the fact that this power system allows me to go make videos in weird places and stay there. You know, like. These places, Chaco Canyons, it's not easy to get there. I mean, it's it's easy enough. I mean, it's two and a half hours out of maybe no, maybe it was more than that out of Albuquerque. I forget the distance, but it was quite the drive. And you're driving through. It's not on a direct route to anything. And then once you get to the perimeter of it, really bad dirt road that you got to go down. That's not maintained properly. So I suspect that in some ways it almost feels suspicious. That like, do they want to keep people out of here for some reason? Why right. is this not talked about more? I mean, I, I sort of discussed this a little bit on the video. Like, it seems strange that it's not more celebrated by you know our society. That there's stuff out there like that. That's just, it's it's incredible and amazing and beautiful. Why it doesn't have a good publicist. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because there's certain things that have like Machu Picchu. It's yeah. a great publicist. Yeah, I think it forces people to confront the idea that, you know, what happened to the Native Americans in this country, too, and in North America and Canada, you know, like well, we, not we that. weren't that nice to them, were we? So so it, it makes us have to think about what happened. But you were just saying that that place was abandoned in the 1100s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that but, has nothing to do with Sure, but Europeans. just in general, just talking about pre, oh, yeah. pre-European, um, not now, right? But, you know, I think there was probably a period of time when, you know, they were settling... Europeans, not, not just America, Canada too, right? Settling North America, where they didn't really want to acknowledge that there was civilization here before. You know, it was it was more like they were, you know, eminent domain. Yeah, yeah, they were trying to claim it. Yeah, for sure. That I think there's definitely that. There's a guilt attached to the way people feel about Native Americans, and the, the also the just the the understanding of what a reservation is. 
you pushed them into this area that sucks and forced them to live there and all of their traditional land is gone it's all been absorbed by these people that just got here a couple hundred years ago which is nuts yeah it's so hard to imagine how different this place we're sitting in right now was just 200 years ago yeah yeah i mean they find these all over the place a friend of mine has oh man a ranch oh wow that's a real comanche arrowhead that's a big one too that's probably some something they used to shoot a large animal with wow that's probably elk. They had elk out here. They used to have uh, elk were in like most states. They um, had always a lot of deer out here, a lot of different animals. But that's a big ass arrow. <sighs> yeah. See, and it's like because there's some small ones too that they find. Just find real tiny ones. They might have used for like small game birds and things like that. But yeah. that's a big fucker. See, I, I, I personally. The second I touched this, I felt sort of a sense of kind of you know shivers. Running Wild, my, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like, and I, maybe it's it's my mind just thinking about the history of it. But there's, you know, people talk about energy, and I was like, is like, is it? I when you see hear people say when they go to Sedona, the energy there is amazing, and I'm like, what are you talking about the energy, right? But then when you go to these places, is it because you're just alone and you're relaxed and you're thinking about it so much? But it's like you touch this and you go, well, you think somebody actually like carved this, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody made this, and then they survived with this right mm-hmm. like however many thousand years ago or whatever and you yeah, go, whoa that's incredible you know they napped that thing and made it sharp and they did yeah. all these crazy techniques that they had learned how to make these fucking things and then they hunted with it and th- these people lived here forever until these europeans just came in like a wave of locusts yeah yeah so when you and so that's the the battery system allows you you know the van and the self sufficiency of it because normally if you drove there let's say you drive six hours to get somewhere right right and then the sun's going down and there's no hotels nearby and there's nothing so you're gonna you got to camp in a tent or something so then it's like not comfortable and you don't have you can, right. don't have you're your, in your van yeah so now you can drive there and stay for a while. And then it's like a you just diff- have to make sure you have gas and water. Yeah, it's a different experience because now you're waking up to the sunrise over that mm. and making coffee by yourself. And Thank God you didn't run into like the Manson family or something out there. I had a few moments of, Did of you? Uh, wacky people. I had a few moments of I don't know if they were wacky people, but your mind starts telling you that you got to be careful. You, you, you know, like there was a moment. Uh, you know, there was a moment out in the desert where I, um, you know, was all alone out there in a, a, a truck, uh, was on the Mexican border actually, and a uh, truck's coming from Mexico towards me. And there's, you know, there's signs out in the desert when you get to this, this was actually in the Arizona-Mexico border. It's this place called the Cabiza Prieta Wilderness Area, which is a decommissioned section of the former Barry F. Goldwater Air Force Base test range where they would test bombs in World War II, right? And uh, and you, and you, and uh, it's like really beautiful, like this, the cactuses and the- You want a cigar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I bet you that's a good one too. I'm sure yeah, you wouldn't be smoking some Swisher Sweets or something like that. It's not, a, it's not a Century Sam or- uh, Philly's Blunt. Huh? What, 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 what are they? It's a company called Foundation Cigars. They actually made us our own cigar. It's got a JRE logo on it. Nice. They're really good, though. Uh, I was skeptical. No I was like, this company. But it's actually my man Nick from Foundation really oh knows cigars. And um, the whole deal goes down to oh my God. Nicaragua. Is lighter as well? 
Yes, sir. You know how it works? Push down on that black thing. That Yeah, there you go. Damn, okay. Hmm. So what was the most sketchy of encounters while you're out there doing that van life? Well. You got it. You lit. What was the sketchiest? There was never anything where I actually pro- was in danger, but there was there was the feeling of being in danger. So, well, actually, it might have been in danger. It was definitely a feeling of being in danger. Uh, in, you know. So the van's coming up to you. Yeah, it was like a truck. Or a truck. Yeah. You're in the van. And there was there was like you know I could write it off in my head if I'm trying to be you know positive they were hunters, but they you know they didn't necessarily look like hunters to me. They were they were not in hunting gear, and but they all had guns. They had, but they were rifles. They weren't they weren't like you know, assault rifles. They were hunting rifles, and so they could have been hunting. Uh, and there was four four guys, and they, you know, they were openly brandishing their rifles. No, they were sitting. All four of them. This is what was weird. Four of them. They're probably hunters. They're probably going hunting. I, 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 but they were sitting like this, and they were sitting like this, and their rifles were standing. They were holding their rifles like that. So I kind of I kind of assumed that they were going around looking for a deer or something like that. But but it was, you know. When you're all alone out there and you see a truck coming towards you and there's no one around, no one's going to hear anything, you know, you get a little nervous. So I got, I did get in the van and I locked the door and I'm in the van. I'm looking out of, out of the van and they pulled up by the van and they're looking at my van and I see the, the guns in the van and I'm like, okay, this is- Are they is. speaking Spanish? Well, they were, you know, they were, you know, whatever, 50 feet, 100 feet away. Just did you looking. hear any, any words at all? No, no, I, no. I hadn't. I, I was, I was locked in the van, you know, hiding. I was hiding in the van. It just turned fifty years old. So they never got close to you. No, no. Then, then they drove away. But there's this sort of, uh, you know, five minutes of watching the truck get closer. And so you go to the Cabiza Prieta Wilderness Area, and it's along the Arizona-Mexico border, and you know what the border's like. So, so you know, it's there's a lot of of uh, you know human trafficking and drug smuggling going yeah. on there, and as as well as immigration going on there, and and people coming across the border illegally and all this stuff. And so there was actually a sign when you drive in there that says danger. Human smuggling, drug smuggling, do not travel alone. Okay, so I still go because I'm with Charlie, right? So I'm cool. But uh, so I, I, you know, it, but this sign, I got a picture of the sign. It's, it's kind of interesting, but it's also. Uh, is that sign on your Instagram? Probably is. Yeah, for sure it is. Yeah, if you scroll back to, uh, if you scroll back to uh, whatever that was three years ago, yeah. I yeah. Say that. yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, danger, human smuggling, drug smuggling, do not travel alone, right? Whoa. So I, of course, stupidly go out there and I'm camping out there for a week. But then you haven't seen anybody for five days, you know, and you're out there making videos and making, you know, ambient music, you know, drinking beer. I have a fridge in there. I had a nice fridge in the van too. So I got beer. I got, you know, some whiskey. I'm just having a good time out there, you know, making music by myself and streaming on like some, not always, but sometimes you'd have like internet, you know, so you'd stream you know, that was sort of a connection with the world, you know, streaming live from the middle of fucking nowhere. The world's so crazy now and making beats in the middle of nowhere. But, um, yeah, so that was, that was, you know, this moment where you're going like, oh, maybe I should, shouldn't be here by myself. And, uh, and, uh, that was actually when I, that was actually what, that moment was actually what, um, kind of, I actually tell the story when I do stand up, so I'm trying not to make it a bit here because sometimes you know I don't want to do my bit, but like it's, it, it, I do kind of incorporate it into my stand up sometimes because it's I tell stories about this stuff. But I ended up 
it was what in, in sort of spawned. Uh, I mean, I went back. That's I went back to L.A. and I bought a gun the next day. I'd never owned a. I didn't hadn't owned a gun since I was 21 years old. I had a 22 when I was like 20 or no, 24 years old. I had 22. Hadn't owned a gun the whole time I was in L.A. But I was going out in the desert by myself, feeling vulnerable by myself out there. Yeah. So I went back to L.A. and I went to. Especially see four dudes with rifles yeah. staring at yeah. you. Yeah, and so then I went back. Yeah, there it is. Caution. Yeah. Illegal entry and yeah. drug smuggling yeah. activities mm-hmm. are common mm-hmm. within the refuge. Mm-hmm. Be aware of your surroundings. Do not travel alone or approach suspicious people or activities. Holy shit. Yeah. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. This is probably yeah, Department of the Interior. It's probably <sighs> Bureau of Land Management land. is a lot of the land out there, too. That's so scary. And you realize how big it is. Like, you know, it's one thing, you know, you hear about, you know, in this close to the cities where this happened going but when you go to these remote areas right and you're just yeah that's that's it that was it that was that was that that was the week i was there that was right when that happened there's just nothing out there huh? yeah. so i went back to burbank went down to guns plus and picked up a 357 magnum and a benelli montefeltro silver shotgun and uh, got my hunting license and went quail hunting why would you get a uh, 357 magnum I six shots. I I got the seven shot. Oh, yeah, because nice. I thought that would be better to have one more. <laughs> mm. No, honestly, I just uh, I honestly didn't uh, really actually think about it. No, I didn't. No, I did think about. It. I just I didn't honestly think that I would ever have to use it. To be honest with you, I just like that gun. Oh, I just think it's a beautiful looking gun. Well, it's better to have that gun than no gun. Yeah, yeah. And I also thought honestly though the other, the other actually I have another answer to you because I was going to lots of places with bears. And so oh, right. I figured it would be good protection for bears too, because I was going up into like the you know places in New Mexico where there's bears, mm-hmm. and I would go hiking by myself, and you know you don't want to lug a shotgun around with you all the time. So right. you know I'd, I'd I'd sometimes bring that you know in Arizona and stuff. And, That's smart. But uh, but also I mean you know it's honestly just kind of um, I don't know it's just a beautiful gun. It is. Yes, and, uh, it's a classic. I, yeah, I, I like that. I love that guy. Something so. about a revolver too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, watch yeah. that wheel spin, old timey style. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there was sort of a, a sense of being out there on the on the range. You know, if, if I, yeah. I, I like classic looking uh, guns. Like I've, now, I have lever action. I've been collecting like a Henry rifle. I have a, I have a new Henry twenty two, but I've got a couple of vintage. I got a, just picked up a, like I, I like getting sort of vintage, I've just I have five or six rifles and I've just sort of found myself quite interested in it. You know, like a, I've got an old Savage 99, uh, you know, 1970s, 308, you know, it's like nice. the wood, you know, the old guns oh, with yeah. the wood on it, you know, yeah. and it feels like yeah. real and it's all the newer stuff is more, you know, plastic and stuff. A lot but, of carbon fiber. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I like when it has wood, you know. We got to get you hunting up there. I, I, I would love to Eat go. Eat your own food. I would love to go at some point with somebody that knows what they're doing. I have some friends that really want to take me out next year. So, oh, go with them. Yeah, I mean, local guys. Yeah, local, do it? local guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I bet you have a shit ton of deer up there, dude. There's a lot of deer at my place. Yeah, you can yeah. see them. You can see them on my that trail cam video with the with the Shoot, one deer. You eat it for three months. Yeah, yeah. Fill Think the freezer. Fill the yeah. freezer with it. One deer. Yeah. You're eating it for months. Mm-hmm. You know, shoot mm-hmm. elk six months. I I see your elk on Instagram and I go, man, that looks good. So much meat. Yeah. So good too. So good yeah. for you. I give it away. I give yeah. it away to a lot of my friends. Yeah, it looks good. It's such a good thing to have. 
There's not a lot of elk near me. There are uh, there are in, there are elk, but like they're rare. Like you don't see them in Ontario right. that much. Do you much. hear them? Do you hear them ever in the like in the uh, September moose, time? Moose. Moose. Yeah. 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 I I've seen a moose once uh, near my place, but 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 uh, deer all the time. They're everywhere. Well, yeah. listen, Tom Green. I'm super excited that you're at the comedy club, the comedy mothership this weekend. It's an honor it's, to be there, man. Dude, honor it's to be always there. good to hang out with you and talk to you. And uh, I can't thank you enough because be, being on your show. In 2007, really was a big part of the inspiration to do this. And man, I would say was... you were a pioneer, man. You were you were out. You had figured it out before anybody. You had a full internet talk show running from your house. And when you had me as a guest on, it changed the course of my life because it really did. Because it really was like I remember like light bulbs just going off in my head. Like, why don't I do this? Why don't I do? This? I didn't have the money to do this. You know, so it, I, did, I started off now. with a laptop. <laughs> yeah. It was like the yeah. idea came yeah. out of you, man. Well, I just think it's a, uh, the coolest thing that you 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 know sh- shout that out and, and and say that to me, and you know because I, I I appreciate it because it's like it was when you came to do the show. I was stoked that you were coming to do the show. You know, that was, you know, I'm doing my little web show and you came up and did the show. I was, you know, that. We that, had done a couple things already, right? Like yeah. we did that celebrity pool show. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That was just kind of a, one of those. That was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And uh, we did, we did a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I'd always seen you around. But so, there it yeah. is. Yeah. Bro, it was like 2007. Yeah. We were drinking beer. I was oh, like, yeah. this guy's got it nailed. Yeah. We're on the internet. This is incredible. I was so happy. I was yeah. like, this is how to do it. Look how bad the video was back then. Yeah. The kid who's drinking with us online. You know what's fun about that is like, so that's Skype. We're taking calls on Skype. And so we kind of, I had some real good guys work, working for me. I had, a, you know, my, I had my Jamie there. It was like really. You didn't, new. you never had a Jamie, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was sort of, we were trying, we were trying to build stuff, you know, so. You, know, you guys had a whole server room. I remember walking to your yeah. server room going, this is crazy. I feel yeah. like I'm at like some big corporation where all these lights are going off. And I'm like, Tom, this is wild. So there's a microwave antenna on the roof of the house. So that was the way we were able to stream. Because back then you had to get like bonded T1 lines or something like yeah. that, which were expensive, right? I had a little bit of monetization, not much. But well, a, you were working with a company out of Denver, Yeah, right? yeah. Then yeah. They, they were kind of the first people that I saw streaming. So I was like, how does that work? So I called them. And then, so we had a little, like a very small budget, but enough to get them. What happened to those guys? They just kind of, I'm not sure, actually. I don't know. I'm not sure. But they they were they were interesting guys. And, and so I basically started with them, and then I went off on my own. And uh, Well, listen, I'm glad yeah. you're going to do another one, because you're uh, a very compelling and interesting person, and you always have a really good perspective, and you've led a fucking wild-ass life. And, uh, and I appreciate you. Thank so you. Thanks for being here, brother. Thank, thanks, Joe, Thank man. you. And uh, I think the shows are all sold out this weekend. So yeah, Tough shit, motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, but sometimes, even if the club does sell out, we have a sign, like a neon sign. There's tickets available now. What happens is sometimes people can't make it, babysitter cancels, who knows. But every now and then, even on sold out shows, there's tickets available. So if you go to the box office, maybe get lucky. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Tom Green. You're the fucking man. Oh, uh, Instagram. What is it? Is it just Tom Green? Yeah. Uh, Tom Green Live? Do, yeah. Go it? check out my YouTube channel, YouTube slash Tom Green. Put a lot of stuff up on there now, which is kind of a little. And then uh, Tom Green on Instagram, uh, Tom Green Live on Twitter and okay. uh, or X. And uh, yeah, all, that's all the spots, TikTok. And I'm shooting a special. Actually, I'm shooting a special for Amazon Prime, stand-up special. Nice. And, uh, Where are you doing that at? Where are you filming uh, it? Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do... I'm going to shoot it in Ottawa, but I'm also doing a tour in April. So I'm going through, I'm going to be in Cleveland, I'm going to be in Lexington, Kentucky, Louisville, um, uh, Detroit, uh, all over Michigan. 
uh, you know, helium in Philly and a, nice. a lot of the spots. So you can go check nice. out my tour, and I'm going nice. to film the whole tour too, and I'm going to kind of cut it together into a bunch of nice stand-up uh, little montage. So yeah, thanks. Well, I'm Joe. excited. I'm excited to see you this weekend. Okay, uh, that's it. Goodbye. Thank you.